What's up, guys? This is Roland Buck III. I play Noah Sexton on Chicago Med, and you're listening to Meet Us at Molly's. He's standing next to you, are you family? And to me, there's nothing more important. Not gonna be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride. Hey, Shyhards. Welcome to episode 253. We are covering this past week's episodes, 816, 1116, 1016. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. We took both of those two weeks off. Yeah, we only dropped a bonus episode, but yeah. Yeah, and we'll we'll provide an update on that here in a little bit, but <laughs> yeah. we got some things to catch up on, don't we? Mm-hmm. A lot no. has happened since the last yeah, time. Yeah, lots of, lots of news. Yeah, it was it was a busy hiatus for, for a mini hiatus there. Yeah. So yeah, uh, we are just, let's just jump right into the news because again, there's a lot to talk about, mm-hmm. but um, the most important of all being that Jesse Spencer is coming back to us. My favorite thing though, is oh. that like, yes, Emily ended up getting the exclusive, but like my favorite is that it really came out through Instagram through some extra, like posting a photo he shouldn't have posted. Oh my God. You know, Derek and Andrea had to be so pissed. Yeah. Well, not even just them. I'm sure like NBC and Jenner, like everybody. And like, the more I think about it, I'm like, damn, I kind of wish we had just like had that. Like if we had just seen the episode description, which we'll talk about in a second, like it would be so nice to just have like seen him pop up as a surprise. But like, I also kind of like knowing. I'm, I I love that we know. Honestly, we needed this win. Yeah. We needed this win. Yeah. It's been tough going this season. Yeah. I will yeah. take this all day, every day. Absolutely. 100%. I'm glad. It, I would have been happy either way. I would have been glad if it leaked. I would have been glad if it hadn't leaked. Um, yeah. yeah. Give It's something to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even mad. So, uh, yeah. So the Instagram foot, the Instagram story is what broke it. Event- initially, it was like a, a random extra who posted the photo. Um and it wasn't even, it was something where like he could have gotten away with passing it off as an old photo, but he was like, oh, had such a blast shooting this exact episode number of Chicago Fire. And it's like, let me tag the director and this and like all these things. And it's like, oh man, okay. I don't know when the internet is going to learn, but there is absolutely nothing this fandom cannot find. Well, and the thing is, is that like, to the to like 95 percent of the people they would have no idea that they're really spoiling anything they're like if they like see people out on set like are on the street or whatever they're like oh cool chicago fire and like that's it like they have no idea that they're like spoiling things or they don't get it yeah that there's that guy probably had no idea who jesse spencer is was to the franchise and like you know his history Although he probably had no he, clue i think it's, if I remember correctly, someone had said that he had been an extra before. Like, if you deep dove on his Instagram, like, mm-hmm. he's been in that world before. So, like, he probably did. But still, to most people, if they were in his shoes, they probably would have had no idea. There's nothing that this fandom cannot find. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I'm not I'm not mad at all. I'm, I'm thrilled. And not that it really matters, but do you think this was... This is a result of Taylor leaving, right? I think so. I think so, too. I don't think think this was planned pre, you know, if Taylor hadn't left. Which makes me love it even more because that tells me that the powers that be knew that we needed this. Yeah. Yeah. 
they're not just kind of in like their bubble thinking like everything's fine everything's not fine yeah which we'll talk about it in this week's episode that moment that i think they really knew that we needed to hear but um yeah i think this is definitely part of that too we don't know if it's just one episode or multiple um we just know that right now we just know it's one feel yeah i feel like it's probably just one but i don't i mean i don't know but i feel like it's probably just one i guess so but like i mean yeah if you i know. To come back that would be great yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> we'll take whatever but if it's just one we'll take whatever we can get jesse come home and that goes for both jesse <laughs> jesse squared come home come home <laughs> oh man yeah yeah so not next week not not well not this week because you're listening to this on monday um but next week episode 18 yes is when he will pop up and i really hope it's not just working with stella like he needs to check in with herman he needs to check in with everybody yeah especially herman but like everybody yeah and like i get it i i know a lot of brettsy fans are like hoping there will at least be like some interaction with him and brett like i don't want that to be weird either like we don't have time to really resolve anything or like get into anything so like i don't want some awkward i don't know but like I just need more than just him and Stella at this conference, like, away from 51. Right. Right. Just, it's going to be really nice to see him. Yeah. Yeah. We really need that. We just need, we need a piece of merch that just says, Jesse, come home! And it could just be, like, either Jesse. Whoever you want it to apply to. Just, Jesse, come home! We need that. Face bomb. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, so Jesse Spencer's coming back, which like, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we also have episode descriptions. So we have episode descriptions for this week and for next week, episodes 17 and 18. Mm-hmm. So Chicago Med 817, that's the episode coming out in two days since you're listening on Monday. It's called No One to Hold and No One to Fold. These descriptions, or the, the titles are just getting like, yeah. More and more funny. Okay. So a documentary crew visits Med to film Crockett and Abrams groundbreaking surgery. Archer refuses to ask for help for his kidney issues, despite the staff's unrelenting kindness. And Will starts to develop feelings for a coworker. I also want to make sure that we know this is the episode directed by Brian T. Yes. Yes. Directed by Brian T. This week, not last week, this week. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people, I mean, we had a whole conversation. We were like, I can't believe they're not giving Brian any press. And then it was like, oh, it's 17. Because originally it was reported that it was 16 and now it's 17. Yes. Yes, this is the episode that Brian T. directed. So, oh man, the feelings he develops a coworker for, please be Nellie, please be Nellie, please be Nellie. I want it to be Nellie so bad. Do you have any theories? No, because I've already I watched the screener. Oh shit, that's right. We have a screener and I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> I can't say Wait. anything. I gotta get on that. It's Saturday when we're recording, you guys. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> shit. <laughs> I don't know if I can tell by your face, like if it's Nelly or if it's Grace. I I have lots of thoughts on this episode and I need you to watch it. Damn like, it. I totally forgot we had a screener. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna ask you if you watched it, and I know you haven't, but like I need you to watch because I need someone to talk about it with. I'm trying so hard to read your face right now and see like which way you're trying to like sway me and I totally can't. Damn, you're good. Oh. <laughs> okay. 
all right, fine. I'll report back with my findings in. You're going to text me like when we finish in like three hours from now, like you're, I'm going to get texts at like midnight being like, you know, with all your thoughts or whatever, it's going to be like, you're going to be up late watching it. I feel like probably I'm always up late watching. So, okay. Well, that's the med description. We got to skip it because Brian has seen it. I have not yet. (laughs) Take us through fire. All right. Fire 1117 is called the first symptom. Mouch builds a classic fire truck model for the deputy district chief, but quickly needs some assistance from Gallo and Ritter. Brett and Violet encounter multiple victims with a strange set of symptoms, and the results of Cindy's chemotherapy loom over the Herman family. Okay. Okay, does that sentence, I feel like we had a good win with Cindy this week, and I was, like, very much needing that, and then this makes me, like, nervous again. Yeah, because your knee-jerk reaction is to be like, this had better be, like, perfection, and we're good, and we're done. Yeah, like, after this week, I would have said, oh, I think, I actually thought I changed my mind for a second. I was like, oh, maybe she actually survives. And now I'm like, I don't know again. Yeah, like, that's the knee-jerk. It's like, you're you're thinking, you know, this better be clean. But then if it is clean, you're like, okay, then what did we just go through all of that for? Yeah. I mean, obviously, we want it to be clean, like- no, 100%. Yeah. 1,000%. But, yeah. 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 <laughs> also, that Mount storyline sounds hysterical. Yeah, it really does. I don't, does I, I, I need it. I, I, I need it. I don't even, I need it. Yeah. That does sound pretty funny. So, and then, yeah, the, the strange symptoms. I mean, we'll see what that is. Is that infection 2.0? I know, right? Which, like, when Infection 1.0 came out, like, before the pandemic, we were like, wow, that was very groundbreaking of you. And now we're like, no, please don't. Like, no, too, too no. soon. That was, like, way too soon. Way too, like, predict yeah. the future-y. Like, no, no, no. Well, there was that thing in the news this past week. There's some, like, deadly fungal infection going around. And I'm like, dude, we just finished season one of The Last of Us. Can you, like, wait? <laughs> don't do that to us. Like, too too early. Too soon. Do not want. No, I no, would no. not do well in an apocalypse. Yeah. No. Do not want none of that. No. And then PD 1017 is called Out of the Depths. As the team investigates a convenience store robbery, the evidence leads them to an unusual pair of suspects, revealing a dark personal drama and another potential victim. Burgess slowly makes strides tackling her past drama. Yeah, she does. That's our I am so excited for these next two episodes, like the Burzik of it all like i'm so excited yeah it's it's heating up i'm really excited yep probably the most excited i've been about pd all season yeah i i don't know if i've been like excited at any point this season but i yeah these past you know it's headed somewhere good and i think and the thing is as well if lauren's theories are all correct like it seems like it's actually gonna be good comp like berzic content yeah so like thank god it's only you know been how many years <laughs> right so i feel like hopeful on that front yeah but yep hmm. so then we go to next week med 818 this is the episode that airs on april and mathing hold on fifth 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 yeah okay Med at 18, I could see the writing on the wall. Dr. Grace Song launches her pilot program, giving the ED a technological facelift. How do you get more of a technological facelift than 
I don't know. And do we need more of a technological facelift? Are there flying cars between parts of the hospital? <laughs> My goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As his health worsens, Archer clashes with Charles on a patient faking paralysis, and Asher helps a pregnant mother with a heart condition. What are we doing, Archer? What are we doing? I don't know. But also a patient faking paralysis, that... Mm. Okay. I... Yeah. How do we know they're faking paralysis? I don't know. Look, I love Dr. Archer now, which is something I never thought I'd say. But he does also strike me as the kind of doctor who would pass off somebody's pain as, like, anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. See? see. But yeah, we don't need Archer to revert back to the old Archer. We need him to stay the current Archer. The one that we we all stand. Healthy Archer. Yeah. We need to be able to stand a healthy archer. Did we already predict this? That something's going to go down the finale where like his son has to donate a kidney? It's definitely been a theory floating around because then obviously I think the idea is that like that could ultimately kill Sean. Like if we're going with our like Sean dies in the finale type thing that like he could die under the table, you know, giving his dad a kidney. Like I could definitely see that happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crazy times, y'all. Crazy yeah. times. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um, I just realized I read PD and Med. I'm sorry. I it's okay. I it's, 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 yeah. All okay. right. You can take fire and PD. Go for I it. Got you. Fire eleven eighteen. Danger is all around. A familiar face returns to Firehouse fifty one to serve with Kid on a special task force. With Tony days away from breaking the CFD's perfect attendance record, Mouch and Cap work to keep him safe. Old memories and grudges resurface when Galler reunites with a family member. I love everything about this description. Yeah. Like, give me every part of that. Absolutely. That Obvi- the, the comedy story sounds hilarious that they're trying to keep Tony safe. <laughs> That's out and mouching cap of all people, obviously. Of like course. hysterical. The Gallo backstory stuff sounds really interesting. Um, and then obviously we know that Casey is the familiar face returning to 51 yes Um, but also i have like so many questions like how does he end up from oregon on a special task force in chicago like so many questions i know it's because it it looked like based on the picture that was posted it looked like it was some sort of conference like yeah and like to me that would make sense if you said like oh yeah all the different counties of like illinois or like a midwest you know task force okay fine but like oregon is all the way out on the west coast like how does oregon end up I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Not, again, not that I'm complaining. Just questions nope. I have. Yep. But yep. yeah, everything about this. I I do love the little, like, increase in Tony and Cap stuff we've gotten, too. Like, even in this episode, like, their pres- like the increased presence of Tony and Cap. Like, I will take them, more of them, all day, every day. Yep. Yeah. It's really fun. Um, And PD-10-18, you only died twice. Great. Not alarming this at all. This is ambiguous. Yeah, ambiguous. We, no, we don't need does that. It, this does not give me any anxiety. A tragic crime leads the team closer to the Beck family and their deadly ideology. Ruzik makes progress in tr- infiltrating the Becks, earning Samantha and Richard's trust with a bold move. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. yeah, I don't like the sounds of this. 
I don't either. No, um, Lauren's theory is that he gets hurt at what the end of this one or the end of 17? End of 17, and that it's a cliffhanger going into 18. It's a theory. Um, speaking of Lauren, where the hell has she been today? Um, <laughs> I know it's just there, you know, usually our phones blow up with Berserk theories, and there's been none of that today. Uh, yeah, just uh, yeah. yeah, I'm scared. Keep, yeah, we're getting I'm excited, that point but I'm now. also scared. Yeah, it's it's literally that point of the season now where like every move you're just like, are they okay? Are we good? Well, we and good? the thing is, in my head, is like, okay, so this is eighteen, so there'll be four. No, yeah, four more episodes after this. Like, so will this be the end of the Bex? And like, if that's the case, then like, what are the last four episodes going to be leading up to the finale? I thought the finale was going to be the Bex. That's the in my mind. That's what I'm thought. But then I don't know. You've also got this thing with Nina going on, and is that going to escalate any further? Well, and then you've got, technically, Sean still out there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Lots of thoughts. Potential, a lot of moving parts. Lots of potential finale things going on. As long as, long as everybody stays safe and... As long stay- as we get a cliffhanger like last season where, like, everyone's alive, then I'll take it. Yeah. Just... Just don't hurt anybody and let them all remain members of intelligence, please. And and I'll be able to, like, handle hiatus. Yeah, anything else we can handle, but. Man, crazy yeah. times. Um, You also probably noticed today that this episode is way longer than normal. We chatted with Chicago Med's Devin Kawaoka this week. Uh, that is Dr. Kai. And before you rolled your eyes and just be like, oh, Kai. Devin is the sweetest human. We had such a good chat. I'm so sad I had to miss it. He is such a sweetheart. Like, we we had so much fun. Like, yeah, we just, he was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. We talked about med. We talked about shrinking on uh, Apple TV. I almost said ABC. That's not right at all. Uh, yeah, just make sure you stick around to listen to it because Devin is wonderful. We had so much fun. Yeah. So much fun. And he went back and listened to past episodes just to get an idea of us. And so, yeah. Oh he, he lord! Was, I know, I know. That's oh it. He lord! Said, he was like, "Yeah, I listened to past episodes." I was like, "I'm sorry." Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Oh my god, what an absolute gem! So please, please do stick around at the end of the episode and listen to that. Uh, the other subject that we have to broach before we hit the episode—it's um, a little somber on our part. <laughs> yeah, not happy to have to do nope. this with, with very heavy hearts. Um, as you know, you saw the video two weeks ago laying out our March Madness bet, which with the one and only friend of the pod, Jimmy Nicholas. And our BFF Lauren. And our BFF Lauren. Yep. So uh, what we did this year in terms of the bet, you'll have to listen to the episode to find out the terms. But it is with very heavy hearts that we must concede the race. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way we can win. There is unfortunately no path to victory for either one of us. I was out of the race a very long time ago. <laughs> Last weekend. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and Bryna, Bryna pretty much exited the race this past Friday night. Yeah. Lauren and I were both still in it until yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So there are three of Jimmy's final four picks are still in the running. All of mine are out. All of mine are out. And I'm pretty sure all of Lauren's are out, unless she yeah. had- No, didn't you have Gonzaga in your final four? Oh, yeah, I did. So I still have okay. one, but, like, I can't win. My final two are out. None of us can win, so. Except for ex- the one who won, Jimmy. Just, 
we would we would really just like wish you we wish that you would respect our privacy at this time as we grieve the loss of our bet <laughs> we're really sad about it we're really we really are because i really wanted to see the spin class and lauren's roblo fan account yeah but we i'm really sad we unfortunately have to concede the election so um we would like to thank our listeners for their support <laughs> we would like to thank jimmy for being willing to do this with us again yeah um we would also like to thank the schools that let us down and by thanking them we mean thank you for nothing yeah. so thank you to the university of virginia thank you duke thank you kansas thank you alabama thank you ucla thank you houston who else lost last night somebody big lost, lost. oh thank you oh you already thanked alabama yeah, thank you, Arkansas. Thank you, Arkansas. Thank you, Kansas State, for somehow still being in it. Uh, thank you, yeah. Creighton, for still somehow being in this. Princeton, all the schools that are somehow still in this. Thank you for, um, oh, thank you, Florida Atlantic, for wrecking every single bracket across the country. Yeah, Princeton. Yeah, and and a very sarcastic thank you to Jimmy's Final Four for all still being in the race and simultaneously i'm I'm just always i'm gonna have such beef with creighton now i'm like i just am i have beef with every single school that let us down like yeah just i like have such trust issues already going into next year like about picking higher seeds like i don't want i don't want to pick all smaller school or you know like underdogs because that's also not a great idea, but like I have such trust issues with the higher seeds. This is a conversation that I'm gonna have with Jimmy because like, and he's probably listening to this now anyway. So hi, um, okay. The Jimmy's the one who chose the CBS Sports format, right? Because you get more points for picking the lower seeds. What I did not realize was that in doing this, he kind of waged some like psychological warfare against us. Because in doing my bracket, I started to pick more lower seeds, thinking yeah. like. Ooh, if there's some sort of upset, I'll get more points for it. Meanwhile, if you take a look at his bracket, he picked mostly the low, like the the number one, number two seeds, and also, he's still in the race. Not fair that he and Lauren discussed their brackets as they were picking them, which is really rich considering he 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 accuses us of cheating last year. Yeah, Gina and I had no discussion about our brackets None. whatsoever. Nor did we this year. No, no, no. So, except for like, oh, hey, we need to pick our brackets. That's literally all we said. I like, yeah, but it's just, fine. We're conceding like big girls. It's yeah, fine. We're good sports fine. about it. It's fine. Ugh, fine. So I guess, I guess we should probably just, just do the first part of our bet. Um, yeah. Hawkins for life. <laughs> Say it. Yeah. Hawkins for life. I feel like we ha- need merch that says that. We do. We do. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm not happy about it, but not happy about it. But we're, we're it. good sports. And next year the group chat n- name will change to Brian and Gina's Revenge. But actually though. Yeah. Just please respect our privacy at this time as we mourn <laughs> the loss yeah, of our brackets. I love how everyone has been really into it though, because every now and then we'll be like I need updates on the brackets. I need updates. Like there was some last night, but last night we were not in the mood to talk about our brackets. 
Well, think about me last week. Like both of yeah. my both of my championship picks went out in a four hour span. I looked at the brackets today after like the updates, and like you can't get any more points. No, I really can't. Oh, like, and you Lauren... out. Yeah, no, my bracket is straight X's. Yeah, like you literally, like your max points have been reached. This is the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> like Lauren still has a chance for some points. I had still some chance for some points, and Jimmy has a chance for a bunch of points. But like, you have no chance for any more points. Yours is no. Like, I, my whole bracket is xed out now. That now that you uh, Houston's out. Yeah. So yeah, that's where we're at, guys. It's not not good. It's fine. It's fine. We're big girls. We we can we we can handle it. We we're fine. We can, we're handling it. Doesn't mean we're happy about it, but we're handling it. Yeah. But we're keeping but, up our part of the bet. But like March Madness three Tokyo Drift is happening. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is a tradition that never will die. It no, it will not die. Nope. Yep. There was a mean joke in there and I almost took it and I didn't. Because I'm nice. I, I know where you I, yep, yep. I didn't take it because I'm a big girl. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, let's also pivot there and remind you that Jimmy is joining us for the season finales. Yeah, there's your reminder. There's your reminder. Um, so definitely tune in because that's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to be wild for someone who's never seen <laughs> PD. He said he's going to watch. I know. Yeah. And uh, we, we pretty much filled him in on what's happening on fire. Um, yeah. Can we say that on the pod? <laughs> oh goodness. Um yeah, so so there you have it, Jimmy. We conceded like big girls. <laughs> Brian has grown up enough to put a peace sign up. I am not. Ugh, fine. Okay. So patron shoutouts. We have two this week. That's exciting. <laughs> Okay, very first exciting. patron shout-out. Yes, very exciting. First patron shout-out is to Bob Glovic. Welcome to the family. Thank you for supporting the pod. I hope you joined the Facebook group. I haven't looked, to be honest. I don't think so. Okay, well, do that. Join the Facebook group. And next up, Crystal Martin. Crystal, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Yeah, definitely make sure you guys join the Facebook group because that is yes. the best perk by far. We say it every week, but it really is true that the, the patron group is just fantastic. It's just a big, giant family. The Facebook group is the best part. So a yes. um, couple weeks ago, when Lauren and I were in New York, guys, we met up with our New York, New Jersey patrons. We all got lunch together, and it was like we'd known each other for years. Yeah. It was really fun. Really, really fun. So yeah, definitely check it out. If you have questions, let us know. Um, remember that you cannot join the Facebook group without joining on Patreon first. We have to have yes. the email from Patreon that you've signed up in order to let you into the Facebook group. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let us know if you have any questions. Lots, lots of good stuff there. So um, do we have any other news or things to talk about before we start recording? <laughs> I think that's it. I know. I'm like going through the checklist in my head, but definitely listen to the interview with Devin. Oh my God. He's so sweet. And especially after this week's episode, we we go there. There's a lot of fart talk in this interview that I was not expecting. <laughs> thanks to this episode. Put it that way. Yeah, that was a storyline I definitely did not see coming. Me neither. When Me this was like neither. hyped up to us, it's like, oh, Devin has a lot of stuff going on in this week's episode. I was not expecting that. I felt so bad for Kai. Oh, I felt so bad for him. This episode, though, this episode as a whole of Med was like stressful. I loved it. 
No, I loved it too, but it was a little stressful. Oh yeah, definitely. I will never think about an MRI machine the same way ever again. Oh my God, I know, I know. Which we'll get Uh, there, but like. Yeah, our friend Rachel had a really good point when that happened. She was like, why is the MRI machine like that accessible to patients and like normal people? Because he literally just like ducked through the doors and was like, soup. That was Mm -hmm. bananas. Okay, so start with med. Um. Yeah, so this episode of Mad, oh, it was it was stressful, but it was enjoyable for sure, for sure. There were all like there were a lot of like bodily functions in this episode too, which like it's a medical show, right? So like you got to be a big kid about it. But there were definitely a couple moments where I was like, oh, and then I was like, nope, medical show. Be a grown up. Be a grown up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, let's start off with Doctor Charles and Hannah and Archer, and basically the MRI from hell. Yeah crazy okay so liliana is finishing up in dr charles's office this is where we open so liliana's just cleaned the office he hasn't gotten in yet and yeah the the office is a little bit of a mess there's pizza boxes there's stuff like everywhere and so dr charles feels bad he's like oh my god i'm sorry like i had the interns over for pizza and then they dragged me out for a drink and i just didn't get to clean and she's like no it's cool don't worry but also i so like so, like, Connor and Kai and Nellie and everybody, they, like, had a pizza party in Dr. Charles's office? Apparently. And I, where, I'm like, where were we? Like, I want to be, we, I want to be there. What did this look like? Was also, Kai just, like, in the corner, I just, like? I guess. And I just think it's so funny that, like, it's Dr. Charles, of all people, who's having the interns for pizza. It's, like. <laughs> not good. That is not good. Your face was just too funny. That was not Um, good. It's supposed to be a Moscow mule in a can and it's like way too lime. I'm gonna have to put that in a glass and like balance it out. Anyway, go on. No, I just just think it's funny. It's like Dr. Charles of all people because it's like I can just picture them all like sitting there like having a good time. But Dr. Charles being like, so uh, Connor, like tell me all about your life. Like, you know. Yeah. Like I can just see him doing all of, you know, the like shrink things um, with interns. Kai and Dr. Charles would be like a trip because he would he would do the same thing and then Kai would be like why do you want to know like he'd be not happy about it he would just kind of like barely say anything he'd be like my life's good awkward pause yeah yeah where was our invite that would have been awesome yeah I'm just like need more of that all the interns having a pizza party in Dr. Charles's office yeah and yeah. then obviously I'm assuming if they went out to Molly's, if they had drinks afterwards, right? Right. Not that we right. ever see anyone else in Molly's anymore, but it's fine. It's true. Except for that the fire true. kids. Yep. So Hannah brings Archer his water bottle because he keeps forgetting it around the hospital. Yeah. So this is like an ongoing bit throughout the episode. Because um, she keeps reminding him. She's like, you have to stay hydrated. And he just literally is like, thanks, mom. Ugh. Guys, this is like, I love them so much. I do. I love them. I know you're like, I don't see it. I don't care. I I did not say anything. Your face says it all. Well, I just had a drink of something like super sour. Just like, leave me alone. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. He needs a bigger water bottle, though. That's why he's leaving it everywhere. That thing's not big enough. Yeah, but I I don't even care. Like the thanks, mom. The music, I don't... mm. I love everything about this at the end, which we'll get there, but. 
Okay, so Hannah gets a pregnant woman because, you know, it's Wednesday, day that ends in Y, and the OB yeah. gets a pregnant woman. So she gets a pregnant woman and her husband, and of course she's getting ready to deliver. And yeah, she seems fine. She's like, oh my God, we're going to be parents today. This is great. Dad's kind of bugging out a little bit because like, hey, you know, big day. So at one point he quite literally is like, I think I left the oven on. So like, I'm going to go home to check. And she's like, the fuck? Like, what are you doing here? And Hannah talks him down. She's like, I've done this a million times. Like, don't worry. You know, we've got it handled. And so he's like, okay, I just, I just don't feel like myself. Like, sorry. Okay. So we go through the delivery. Everything's fine there. And so Hannah's just like, okay, dad, like, do you want to cut the cord? And he's holding onto the scissors and he just stares and he's like, that's not my baby. And she's like, huh? So yeah. basically this goes from like zero to zero to a hundred in like two seconds. Okay. So he like feels threatened. He runs out of the room. Everybody's like, what is happening meanwhile his poor wife just had a baby and is laying there like guts open on the table yeah and her husband is like freaking out with a weapon in the halls of the hospital mm-hmm. just med things casual tuesday or wednesday over at med casual so casual so they basically back him into a corner like unintentionally of course but they back him into a corner and behind him are the doors to like the mri machine and which like Rachel's right. Why are they like right out in the open? Why are they like push doors? Like, why is it not like a door that you can lock? Yeah. Yeah. Or like, yeah, it should just a door with a handle that there's like a little more that goes into opening it rather than those like push double doors where like you literally could just like fall in and open it. But like you never see that in a regular hospital. It's usually like usually the MRI room is completely separate from where like everybody else is. Yeah, I've never had one at a hospital, but I've had one in like a, you know, like a clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, I've even had one in a mobile MRI machine. But like, yeah, they're like still like you have to like open a door to like go into the room. They're not just like open double doors type things. Yet another reason why Chicago Med is the least safe hospital in the entire country. Yep. yep. <laughs> MRI machines just out in the open. Yeah. Bodies getting stolen. Pandas coming in. Oh, my goodness. It's fine fine it's totally fine so yeah he's got the scissor and he like puts there's like a stretcher he puts in front of him because he's like you know he's starting to feel threatened and he backs through the doors the push doors like you said that are way too easy for a normal person to access especially when the mri machine is on yep and it's like some marvel shit because like he goes like with the scissor he goes flying back as does the bed and he gets pinned against the mri machine because science and magnets and the scissors end up right in his carotid artery in his neck <laughs> because you had a bad day <laughs> <laughs> oh man take your heart out yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow wow uh yeah (laughs) just wow yeah okay so so we come back from the commercial because you know you got to give it time to process you're like holy shit like wow you want to talk about the worst luck ever is it okay so i like how you put in the outline that the magnet swallows him yeah (laughs) i don't know how else to describe that motion it's like he he doesn't like walk back into the you know MRI like the magnet literally like he comes in close enough and the magnet all of a sudden like swallows him and everything else in its periphery like in the you know into it I don't know how else to describe it 
the other thing that baffles me here is that, I mean, since that MRI machine is just out in the fucking open where like anybody can access it, they're all walking around like no big deal once we come back from the commercial. But like, surely these women are wearing like rings, bracelets, jewelry that like would attract the MRI machine. Are they not? Well, my guess is no, because I'm trying like, I mean, when you have an MRI, you have to take off like any, you know anything that's metal you can't wear you know certain kinds of pants you know like you, there's certain things you can and cannot wear in an mri machine so i'm assuming not well no that's that's why i'm wondering why they were all able to just like move about the mri machine so freely well, i have a feeling if you're a doctor and nurse though like you're not wearing jewel you know like you're not wearing jewelry true because like I remember my dad used to talk about obviously like his wedding ring like he used to wear it and then he would take it off for surgery and then he got to the point where he just wouldn't wear it that much anymore because he didn't want to like lose it because you know he couldn't wear it in surgery so yeah insane insane so yeah the, the MRI machine basically eats him he's got a scissor in the neck and he's smushed in there by a stretcher just normal totally yeah fine yeah um so all the doctors there, like Charles Goodwin, uh, Hannah's there, Archer's there, everybody's Grace, there. Yeah, yeah, and and Squad Three shows up at a certain point. Yeah, uh, it's a party. It is a it's a MRI party. Yeah, so they're all trying to strategize, and they cannot turn the magnet off. That seems like the obvious solution, right? Just turn the thing off. Like, yeah, can't do it because if you do that, all of the stuff it was attracting will fall, and that includes the scissors that are pulsating out of his neck. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be a totally different story if the scissors were not in his neck. Can you imagine working at Med and like the stories you must have? Oh my god! It's like, like you go if like you're like a random nurse on the third floor and you like go home to your husband after work and you're and he's like, oh, how was your day? And it's like, well, then let me tell you, the tea with D and T is going to be lit this week. Let's just put it that way. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's going to be lit. <laughs> Yeah, so they're all game planning. They can't turn the magnet off. They just kind of have to leave it there. Squad three comes in and look at Cruz in charge of squad. More about that I later, love but I love it. it. Yeah. I love it so much. There were so many times throughout like like this episode and fire that like somebody would address him and I'm like, it's lieutenant now. And I'm like, no, wait, it's not. He's just interim. <laughs> yeah, he's but it interim. should be lieutenant now. Yeah, he's just interim. My favorite though is like he was like, Yeah, he's like, I this is rescue, but like I don't know what to do he's like I, I don't know he's like i don't know i love it i love it and i just love how he was like when he was like strategizing he's like well my guys can do this i'm like hell yeah they're your guys you go cruise love it. yeah love it oh it's so good okay so they finally come up with a plan to get this all to work so like squad's gonna inflate some stuff they're gonna like harness him to the mri machine <laughs> and do the things it's fine yeah squad's gonna do the thing and then grace is gonna do the other thing that involves plastic and then archer's gonna do another thing and my favorite thing is she like my favorite thing about her and it's just like she was like oh yeah she's like i can 3d print those no problem it's fine i can 3d print that and i'm like who are you (laughs) like that didn't bug me what bugged me is when they're all strategizing and she materializes out of nowhere and just goes there's only a one percent chance of survival not now not now can you like take there's a time and place for your statistics and now is not one of them i like yeah like her statistics and stuff like are still kind of rubbing me the wrong way a little bit like i know we'll probably get to the point where she's like less statistics reliant and like more emotion you know like lead with emotions and like you know but like 
I don't know if she's going to keep sticking around. It's just these little things that I'm like, I'm not there yet on her. Imagine you just birthed a baby, right? You just birthed a baby. Your whole like area is just ravaged, right? And your husband is sucked into an MRI machine. And then some random doctor appears over your shoulder and says that he has a 1% chance of survival. And he, your husband accused you of cheating on him. I can't, I can't like process the, like the, the insanity of this. <laughs> Like, but also one level of insanity when you watch it and then you start discussing it and like saying it out loud and you're like oh that's a whole other level of insanity but also women are fucking superheroes make hell no yes. doubt about that hell yes fucking superheroes mm-hmm. except for grace because she does not know how to read a room um beside the point okay so they bring the wife in just in case it's the last time they see each other i just want to like Put that circumstance back out there again. She just had a baby. And now it might be the last time she ever sees her husband while he has been sucked up by an MRI machine. Because the best odds Grace can come up with is like 60% chance of survival, which is not great. This poor kid is going to hear this story over and over on his birthday for the rest of his life. Oh, Lord. We're less lucky it ended up good. They're going to traumatize this kid. Like... His 16th birthday. And they're like, now let's tell the story of how your dad almost died. Can I just like have my car and go out with my friends? Yeah. Like, leave me alone. 21. This is a story of how your dad almost died. Can I just have my first legal drink and like get out of here? Can we, we go through this every year. Dad went crazy. Yeah. He got sucked up by an MRI machine. He got to the next Just kidding. Gone. It's a medical hey. condition. Okay, bye. <laughs> and that's how we found out your dad had. Yeah. Oh. And this poor wife, I just can't, like, express it enough. This poor wife. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, yeah, she she barely popped out of the baby, like, an hour ago. Not, like, they wheel her in because she just birthed a fucking baby. Mm-hmm. Like, she's probably still wearing an ice diaper. And they're like, oh, by the way, your husband might die. Yep. Just bananas. All of it is just bananas. <laughs> so then, like... She leaves the room. She doesn't even leave the room in a wheelchair. This woman's up and standing and walking. Like, mm-hmm. nobody. So she's, like, sobbing as she leaves because, uh, yeah, you think? Yeah. And then she even just, like, she's, like, sobbing. And then she apologizes to Dr. Charles and Hannah for crying. Honey. Ladies. We gotta stop apologizing for existing. We gotta stop apologizing for going through the trauma of having our husband sucked up by an MRI and then crying and then apologizing. No, no, mm-hmm. none of that. None of that. You're allowed to cry. You're having a really bad day. It's okay. It's okay. You're having a pretty historic day. Mm-hmm. I can't. I just can't. So wild. So yeah. So then the wife also mentions to Dr. Charles that like, because Dr. Charles is like, well, I noticed these lumps on the back of his neck earlier. Did you notice them? And she's like, no, I had no idea about those. She was a little busy growing a human. Yeah. So Grace goes and makes these 3D printed objects, which like I didn't even know they had a whole room dedicated to that at Med. I guess I'm yeah, not apparently surprised. they have like five 3D printers and I'm like, okay, casual flex, but okay. Yeah. That must be that must have been with like the addition of Jack Dayton. Yeah. Yeah. And the way she was so casual, like we can just 3D print it. And Archer's just like, it looks like the real thing. She's like, it is the real thing. It's just plastic. 
If it's plastic, how do you get the blade that sharp? Science. I don't, I don't know. know. And then there was the moment that they like they gave the husband some sort of pain med and Dr. Charles was like, make sure it's a plastic syringe and like non-ferrous for the needle. That's a medical word. I don't know. But I was like, how how do you give them an injection if the metal's not, if the needle's not metal? I don't know. Science. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Okay. So yeah, the 3D printed tools work just fine archer gets in there he clamps the artery but like he's got to work from a distance right because the stretcher's in the in the way and so he's mm -hmm. just kind of working from a distance he's just trying to kind of clamp stuff which like i'm not really he placed the clamps it looked like on like the outside of the scissor and i was like i'm pretty sure that's not the artery but also this is tv so i'm just gonna roll with it yeah yeah so um while he's doing that i mean he's getting pretty winded while he's trying to figure out figure it all out so uh cfd takes the bed away they keep the guy in place even though they turned the mri off so everything is going according to plan because mm -hmm. cruz is a genius duh uh, they take the scissors and everything seems like he's going to be fine archer though is like he's out of breath he needs some water because he's he looks like he's going to pass out pretty much Worry <laughs> you literally don't understand lauren after she watches episode we were text she was texting the whole time she was watching it and like guys I don't I, the buzz. These two, the buzziest. I don't the buzziest. I don't. I don't see it. I don't have the buzz. <laughs> These two, the buzziest. I just mark my words. <laughs> I got nothing. I just don't see it. We also got a Doctor Lanik reference, though. I didn't even think he still worked there. <laughs> Me neither. Me neither. When I Goodwin said though. that, I was like, go get him. I want to see him. I was like, where is Lanik with the good hair? Yeah, Lanik at the disco. I miss him. Yeah, I know. I'm like, especially because Nate's on not on social media anymore. I'm like, Nate, come back. Come back. We were friends. Fine. Oh, the good old days. Out. Yeah, the good old days of the innocent seasons where like the weirdest thing that ever happened. That was like right before COVID too, when he came on the pod. That was like yeah. weeks before COVID. We had Nick on weeks before COVID. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah they were both he... like around the same time. Yeah. Wild. What a time. The other wild thing is that this guy's going to be totally fine. Yep. Totally fine. Uh, yeah. And it wasn't a mental illness. It wasn't. It was a disease called neurofibromatosis type 2. Yep. Yep. It's like genetic or something, right? Yeah. Triggered by a lifestyle change. He basically like changed his whole diet because his wife had been like really sensitive to certain smells yep. and it like messed up his whole like chemical makeup, which triggered the disease. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. And then the wife was like, she felt like really guilty about it. I was like, oh honey, no, that's the last thing we're going to do today is beat ourselves up over something. Yeah. Like you, it's not your fault. Yeah. It's you not were a his little fault. busy. It, no. it, it, yeah. A little busy. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. So after shift, Dr. Charles goes back to his office and he just finishes cleaning it. And, uh, you know, Liliana's just like, what are you doing? Like, why are you here? And he just explains, he's like, I just don't want you to ever feel like I take for granted the job that you do or that I'm oblivious to how hard you work. And this storyline was weird. It just, it, it just seemed kind of like out of place. I was like, we did not need this. No, but I like seeing them happy. It's fine. It's just not my favorite thing this season, but it's fine. I mean, I guess I'm okay with it. I mean, 
whatever. I'm glad I just didn't think it was necessary. It, there was so much else happening in this episode. I didn't think I, I was like, I thought there was going to be more to it. And there wasn't. I was like, we did not need this. Yeah. Yeah. So on the way out, Hannah goes to see Archer. And not only does she bring him the water bottle, she also bought him an air tag to go on it so that she doesn't lose it. Okay, let me preface this by saying I still I still don't have the buzz. I still don't have the buzz. But that's an expensive gift to get a friend. A fake air tag. But yeah, she didn't call it. I mean, obviously they can't call it like an no. Apple air tag. But yes. But air tags are like 30 bucks. Yeah, I know. They're not cheap. They're not cheap. I'm telling you, I'm telling you all, mark my words. What if the finale is something where, like, they're about to go there or something, and then, like, Sean dies? Well, that's going to be a bummer. Look, we're a little scarred this season, okay? So, like, forgive us for coming up with worst-case scenarios. No, 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 but I will say this. I was talking to Lauren about this other day. Like, this is probably the most excited I've been about anything on all three shows all year really what else has there been to be excited about yeah that's true like i but like i mean until you told me like pre 10 you know pre episodes three like you know from like the beginning of the year then yeah sure before we lost all these characters like you know, all the things. I This is probably the most excited I've been since then. Definitely the most excited I've been in 2023, for sure. So I'm just going to live in my happy bubble. And uh, yeah, put you that guys are all going to be proven up. wrong when this I'm, happens. I'm, I'm not going to pop that bubble. I will leave I you in your happy I have more I want to say, but I'll save it for next week. Oh, because I haven't seen the screener yet. Damn it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Blink twice if Will gets feelings for Nelly. No, just kidding. <laughs> I really want to know, though. See, that I have the buzz for. We'll know. get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. So, yeah, she got him an air tag for the water bottle, which is, like, that is really sweet and thoughtful. Uh, but also, that's not cheap. So, like, damn. No, uh, but it's a little too late. It's a little too late because, yeah, he's going on dialysis, which, what are, what are, what are we doing? Where are we going? Are we, like... Are we starting like a gradual descent where like Archer's not on the show anymore? What are we doing? I th- can't imagine he's not going to not be on the show anymore. You think he's going to stick around? Well, he's on dialysis? Like, endgame. Like, yeah, I, I, you're telling me we're losing another person on. I, no, I'm not even going there, Gina. I don't want to either. But again, we're scarred this season. I know, but Matt is already lost because like. Matt has lost three characters this year. Just three? This season? That's not enough for you? It feels like more. Well, then you have, like, Chessie on PD and you have Jimmy on fire. So, like, it's five total. And Taylor, so six total, really. This year, one season. But it's three fine. on med. Three on med. I'm fine. I'm not upset at by so all this I don't think, at all. Let's put it this way. Unless it is Steven's choice to leave the show, I don't think they're going to, like, have Archer not be at med. Or, like, I think they're going to find a way around it, assuming Steven wants to be on the show. I can't imagine them not, you know, just because that's cruel. <laughs> that's really cruel. No, it's totally cruel. It's all cruel. If they were to do four characters in one year. 
but also, but also stop putting episode, it out in the universe. Yeah. La, 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 la. I can't hear you. They also did episodes three to us all in one night. So Med didn't have an episode three. Well, they did have an episode three, but not to that. No, like I mean, nothing bad. Not happened. nothing bad happening. Yeah, we're, we're Med does not. They but they had an episode one, an episode. I don't remember what episode Asia left, and then episode nine. So they had a bunch of other ones. I I can't. Got some listener thoughts on this one. We had opinions because, like, yeah, weird shit happened. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Heather B. said, I definitely feel like we're moving towards Archer needing an emergency kidney transplant. And at this point, I'm not sure if they're going to have it come from Hannah or Sean. I didn't think about it coming from Hannah. I feel like it's going to be Sean, though. Yeah. Um, Either one could be interesting. Also, I 100% ship Hannah and Archer and hope we do get to see an actual relationship at some point before shit hits the fan like we're all expecting in the finale. I think they're adorable. Uh, and then she said, Dr. Charles and Liliana's storyline seemed a little unnecessary this week, but maybe they feel like they have to include them since they're the only existing relationship inside the walls of Med at the moment. Yep. Maybe. I didn't think about it possibly coming from Hannah. I didn't either, but I still, I think Sean, it's like the only way I think they can make it from Hannah is if it's a success. Hmm. I mean, unless it just, Archer doesn't take it well, but like with Sean, there's more they can do there. Like, you know complications i could you know they could obviously kill him off because of it you know like there's other things they could do with sean that they can't do with hannah sean archer death trope 2023 add it just to another list of kids who have died when they turn their lives around on bed oh my it's god fine. you're right i'm fine on the show it's fine not really but we all know what we mean next up we've got my favorite not canon couple but if they went there i'd be okay with it uh yeah nelly and will brenna take it away all right so goodwin finds nelly in the beginning of the episode and asks her about her daca renewal even though like it's not due for three months but goodwin's like actually you know i think we should get it filed early in case there's any problems but nelly seems a little not as excited as you think she would be for her to just to like get it over with there's something like some kind of hesitation there but Nellie's like, yeah, 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 it's fine. We can meet up after, you know, after shift and whatever. So Will gets a patient, Maria, who's brought in by her parents. So they only speak Spanish, though. So Will brings in Nellie to act as a translator. And the parents just keep saying that she has the sickness and if they don't help her, she will die. And well, the sickness that her parents are referring to has to do with her older brother, Hugo, who just died after being admitted to Oakview with no real diagnosis. And I'm like, oh, Oakview, that's a new one. I don't think that we've ever heard Oakview before. Nope. Um, and Nellie's like, well, I think it might be psych. And so she's like, I'll talk to Maria. And Will's like, okay, I'll reach out to Oakview and, you know, we'll meet back up. So Nellie does have a talk with Maria, but after the talk, she doesn't think it's psych. She's like, it's definitely something actually physically wrong with Maria. Um, But Hugo's chart doesn't really show much either. All they kind of find out is whatever he had. It was quick, though, because basically from he went three days from the time he was admitted to the time he died. So they don't really have that much time to figure out what's going on with Maria either. So she starts seizing and they finally get them to stop. But that brings in, obviously, a whole other realm of possibilities. Um, 
but Doris comes in and Doris is like, hey, Goodwin says stand down. Like you can't get any more treatments. And everyone else is just like, what the fuck? Like, what? Turns out the fucking insurance companies. Um, but like basically, so her family had taken her to Oakview, or well, the ambulance really had taken her to Oakview. And obviously they had started some sort of treatment. So because her family basically left you know, against medical wishes. Um, the insurance company is like, we won't pay for any more treatment until you go back to your preferred network provider, which is Oakview. Um, and we get this conversation. Her brother Hugo was the patient treated at Oakview. So was Maria. She was admitted yesterday via ambulance, but this morning her family just walked her out. They just left, absconded. Oh, her brother died at Oakview and they didn't get any answers. You see how scared they are. It's no wonder that they didn't want to stay. Look, I agree, but walking out is the same as leaving against medical advice. It's triggered an insurance nightmare with the family's HMO. They won't pay for any more treatment until Maria is placed back with their preferred network provider, Oakview. Are you kidding me? They're a community hospital. They don't have the resources to run the test she needs. Well, I've already reached out to the director of patient services at Oakview, and she assured me they'll do the best they can. The best they can? Miss Goodwin, can't you reason with the insurance company? Hector and Gloria aren't trying to take advantage of them. They're trying to save their daughter's life. Look, I know, and I share in your frustration, but they're- No, no, I, I don't care what the insurance company says. I'm not sending Maria back to Oakview until I get a guarantee she gets the treatment she needs in time. Dr. Halstead, the test that you ordered will cost tens of thousands of dollars. Now, I know that's not coming out your pocket. The family has to decide how to proceed. I yeah. feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like Goodwin like folds to the insurance companies a lot more often than not. I think, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, it's her, I think, you know, she finds herself in a tough spot because, like, on the one chance, you know, she was a nurse. She does side with the doctors a lot of times. Mm -hmm. But her job is also to be the liaison between, like, insurance companies and the board and the doctors and the page. Like, she's literally in the middle of, like, all these people. So, like, I think she's just in a tough spot. Uh, yeah. But, um... I will say though, Will, I everyone knows Will's not necessarily my favorite character on Med. For shame. Just kidding. I will say that like patient advocate Will is my favorite version of Will, especially when he's not doing something illegal to be the patient advocate. He's been good about that lately. Like he's been towing yeah, that. This line year's well. been really good for him not doing illegal shit. But <laughs> but I will say patient advocate Will is my favorite version of Will. Isn't that so sad that that's the bar? We're like, oh, Will didn't do anything illegal this year. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So Maria's parents are furious and they're like, we'll do whatever we have to do to get treatment for her. But Maria admits defeat and basically is like, I'll go back to Oakview because she doesn't want to have the burden on her parents or other siblings, you know, all that stuff. Um, and Will, you know, Will and Ellie have a conversation after they leave the room. And Will's like, she's risking her life. And Nellie's like, no, she's sacrificing it. And she's like, it's awful, but I get it. This scene, this was mm -hmm. a moment. Will, Will had his privilege checked. Yeah. But like, he he took it understandingly and he was like okay i'm getting educated on something i don't know but nothing about right now yeah and obviously that's kind of your like key to kind of what's going on with nelly and her whole daca renewal stuff which like we'll get to at the end but um 
yeah it's, it's so, insane yeah but, so they're getting yeah. ready to discharge maria and as they're like undoing her foley and everything like that nelly notices something there's like some kind of smell coming from it um and so she calls Will over and they're just like, we need to run one more test. And Will's like, even if I have to pay for it myself, like we're going to run this test. Turns out Maria has a metabolic disease called maple syrup urine disease, which basically makes it difficult for the body to break down certain amino acids, leaves a very distinct kind of maple syrupy smell. Um, a lot of bodily functions this week. Yeah. Um, never obviously heard of maple syrup urine disease. But also, like, we couldn't come up with a better name for it. We couldn't name it after somebody because, like, that's a hell of an explanation. If, like, you're at school and you're like, by the way, she has maple syrup urine disease. Yeah. And they're going to be like, no, you just made that up. But it's like, no, we no, didn't just it... make it up. Trust yeah. me. It's real. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the episode ends, though, with Goodwin finds Nellie at the end of shift on the green screen roof. And we get this conversation. It was a big win today. <laughs> you saved that family. Yeah. I suppose it's time to talk about my DACA renewal. I know I've been dragging my feet. It's been a long day. We can speak in the morning. No, no, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah? All right. Truth is, I've been thinking about leaving med. Really? I've always been in school or protected by my residency, so my immigration status has always been stable. But my parents, despite them always having jobs, could never solidify theirs, so they moved to Canada. Mm. But they can't enter the country to come visit me. And if I leave to go see them, I might be denied re-entry, so I haven't hugged my parents in a decade. Oh, that's, that's heartbreaking. Maria, today, her bravery, what she was willing to sacrifice for her family, reminded me that no one puts their child in a boat unless the water is safer than the land. Worse on Shire. Oh, that's a beautiful poem. So? My parents sacrificed to get me here, to put me in this boat, which is why I have to stay. And Dr. Quailus, I believe that you will find a way to see your parents again. But until that day, know that you have family here in us at MED. Thank you. For a split second there, I was worried that Nellie was going to be like, and I have to leave too. And I was like, motherfucker, if this makes character number four this year. Yeah, I got scared. I got scared, I got scared for, for a, second. a quick second, but I was glad that it obviously turned out okay. But um, also protect Nellie at all costs. Yes. I love, like, the more that we get to see, I feel like obviously Nellie is the intern we've learned the most about. Mm-hmm. And every time we learn more about her, I'm like, yes, I'm like, give me more. I'm like, I love her. I love Same. her. Same. Yeah. We got to get her on the pod. Yes. Lila, come be our friends. We don't bite. Yeah. Just Connor ask your other friends. To tell you that. Yeah. yeah, we don't bite. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah. I love I, and I love this scene. I thought it was great. 
My heart breaks for her. Like she hasn't hugged her parents in a decade. I can't even imagine. My parents live 15 minutes up the road. I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine. I don't, like, I don't even go like more than three weeks without seeing them. Never mind 10 years. I hug my dad like 20 times a day. Like I, yeah, like I, no, no way. It's crazy. And like the, the sacrifices that, you know, these families have to make. It's yeah, mind blowing. <laughs> but I'm glad she's sticking around. Yeah. So um, she can be with Will. No, I'm just kidding. So we can hear more of her story. I'm going to get hate for that. People are going to be like, like, you only like Nellie, so she hooks up with Will. That's not true. No, that's not true. It's just a bonus if that were to happen. No, I love Nellie. Protect her at all costs. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So we had a listener thought on this. Heather B said, I love Nellie's perspective on Maria's situation to sacrifice herself for her family. And I think it was a good pushback against Will's chronic need to go against patients' wishes to save them and piss off the administrative side of the hospital. I also like how much backstory we got for her this episode, even if it was extremely heartbreaking to know she hasn't seen her family in years. If she does decide to stay, I wonder if it's her or Grace that will develop feelings for it a future episode, because I feel like they have set up the potential for both during the last several episodes. Really? Okay. All right. I feel like Will and Grace would make more sense because, like, opposites attract, but Will and Nellie would be good. Protect Nellie at all costs. That's the moral of the story. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, love her. Okay, so next up we've got Crockett and Kai. Oh, poor Kai. Who had poor a worse Kai. day, the pregnant mom or Kai? Oh, they're both pretty bad. I mean, <laughs> the pregnant mom, obviously, but like. Okay, so Crockett and Kai are going to do like a pretty regular like one of the mill appendectomy, and they're doing it old school. So Kai's like, Kai kind of feels a little too overqualified for it. He's just like, I want to play with 2.0. Like, I don't really want to do this. Like, whatever. He's like, hmm, hope I can keep up, whatever. And he walks away. And the nurse just makes this comment. She's like, he's so full of himself. Like, I really don't like him. Uh, Yeah. So (laughs) cut to surgery. And Kai all of a sudden gets like, sort of like a sort of a tummy ache, right? I felt so bad for him that like, like you you hear his stomach make the noise and then out of nowhere he just passes gas as and yeah he totally farts in the or so bad it's so bad the minute i saw the caption it hadn't the fart hadn't even happened yet i like grimaced i was like oh no oh no but the thing (laughs) is is like we've all been there like you have that moment where it happens and you're just like this is so embarrassing like i can't believe this just happened oh yeah for sure for sure and of all the people for this to happen to oh my god out of all oh. the times for it to happen to you know for it to happen to him too oh man for sure but also thank god for crockett in this situation because like a lesser doctor would have laughed right along with everybody else in the or yeah yeah but also i like, i couldn't help but wonder i was like wait if you fart in the or does that break the sterile field like, <laughs> i don't even want to google that i don't even want to google that <laughs> What if you do it in a private browser? No, I don't want to know. That's I don't want what you wish that. for. Yeah. But if anyone happens to know me, it's a normal day on the podcast. Saturday night sillies are really getting yeah. to us. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, 
Yeah, so that happens, and the people in the OR are laughing, and thank God for Crockett, because he's, like, the only adult in the room, and that includes, like, the people watching, because, like, I'm at home, like, getting secondhand embarrassment on the couch, and everybody in the OR is laughing, and Crockett's like, everybody pull it together, and I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. sir, yes, Dr. Marcel, <laughs> like, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that happens, and then, to make matters worse, Kai just up and passes out right in the middle of the OR. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've had this conversation before, but you've never passed out in public, right? I have. I've never passed out, period. It's embarrassing. I've never really passed embarrassing. Out, period. Knock on wood. It's not fun. It's not fun. No. 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 Because you scare the shit out of everybody, basically. And you can't like help it. Yeah. You know. It's not like you could have done anything about it. Not like you're, you're still- trying to pass out. No, you just, and you feel really embarrassed and really guilty because like you didn't mean to, yeah. but you scared the shit out of everyone. Yeah. And yeah. So Crockett, or not Crockett, Kai is just trying to like do the operation and get in and get out. He's not trying to be like the spectacle or the center of attention, at least not for that reason. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Just like, I feel like the writers were just like, what is, like, the best way we could humble this man? And then somebody was like, let him fart in public. And just like, yeah. Yeah. The beauty yeah. of being a writer, though, you're like, let's embarrass them in, like, the worst way possible. Well, and it's also like, we want Kai backstory. Like, give us Kai backstory. Like, thinking it's going to be some emotional moment and, like, this is what they give us. And it's like, <laughs> Okay. Poor guy, this poor guy. And you'll hear this in the Devin interview too. But I asked him what his reaction was when he read the script, and he was like, "He's like, no, I laughed, and then I pulled it together because I was like, wait, there's a medical reason for this." I'm like, better than me, dude. I just like got secondhand embarrassment. It was like, I can't look at this. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So Kai thinks the whole thing's overkill. He's like, I probably just ate some bad oatmeal. And Crockett's like, that's not gonna like give you gas and make you pass out. Yeah. That's like not the issue. So he gets an x-ray and Kai's colon is basically in his chest. Didn't know that was medically possible. Me neither. Me neither. Unlocking a new fear every week on Chicago Med. Indeed. Yep. Pretty much. So the CT confirms that he has what's called a diaphragmatic hernia. So it's like, basically, I, I think that's when like your muscle slips through, like your muscle slips through something that it shouldn't slip through. But whatever. Anyway, it's so bad that it's like it's pushed his colon up into his chest. Like that's how bad the hernia has gotten. And so doing that, basically anytime he has gas, it puts pressure on the vagus nerve. And that is what makes his heartbeat drop and makes him pass out. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, I thought they were gonna be like super mean and give him what's called vasovagal syncope, which is basically a really fancy word for when like you go to the bathroom, you pass out. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they were going to be really mean. I was like, that is, that is just like, man. But they, they put like a, a, a bigger medical reason behind it. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's probably had it since he was a kid and it's expanded over time. And um, they do have to fix it. But Kai's like, we're not doing this old school. Like, I need to be back in the OR. So he's like, we're doing this in 2.0 so I can have like the shortest recovery time. And Crockett's like, all right, cool. So surgery goes fine. It's all good. But Kai's also worried about this, right? I think I think rightfully so, because he's like, yeah, we got through it. Thank God Crockett was a professional about it, because yeah. he would have made it so much worse. But also, at the end of the day, everybody's going to remember that he's the doctor who farted and passed out in the OR. Yeah. Yeah. Feel for him a little bit. 
Yeah. I'm just kind of curious, though, like, again, like, this is a nice, I think, stepping stone to, like, learning more about Kai and, you know, back. But, like, I want more back. Like, I want to know more about Kai and, like, why he's kind of the asshole that he is. Yeah, we touched on that a little bit. Um, A little bit. Just kind of, like, what theories he has about, you know, why he is the way he is. But, yeah, man, like, they really made sure to knock him down from, like... (laughs) his pedestal all the way down to ground level yeah i feel for him like that's yeah yeah oh that sucks and then like even if they're all professional about it and nobody ever brings it up again it's always going to be in the back of their minds and then like every time they introduce somebody new to kai they're going to be at a party and be like so fun story about him yeah oh poor guy but also thank god for crockett Mm mm-hmm Anyway, okay. Heather B said, I didn't know Colins could do that. Now I have a new car unlocked. It was nice to get a little more storyline from Kai. And I do think it was an interesting way for them to give us more story from him since he has been very arrogant in the past. His image and how others perceive him seems very important. And I hope we see more of why he feels that way in the future. But we'll probably just get three new doctors next week and never hear about him again. (laughs) No, because Devin's actually like so sweet. Don't do that. I know. I love this whole class of interns and i'm like please don't leave next year like i think we're safe for this season but i'm like they can stay next year the more we've gotten to know them the more i'm like protect every single one of them yeah um they're all fantastic and yeah them all please yeah so any other notes about med i didn't realize we only had like three big things to talk about no i'm i i really like this episode it was good it was good. It was wild. It was busy. A lot of stuff was happening. Yeah, but I really like it. Yeah. But next time you're in a hospital and you see the push doors to the MRI machine, don't go in. Okay? Mm-hmm. Don't go in. Yep. Yeah. So, all right. Moving into fire. Mm-hmm. I have mixed opinions about this one. When we were watching it and, like, we we all text while we're watching it because we're codependent and can't do anything apart. Um. Uh, I was not feeling it when I was watching You were it so all. bored. I really was. I really was. Um, but then on rewatch, I was like, all right, I'm catching more details. There's still some things I didn't like, but it was it was better on, on rewatch. Right. So. Like I didn't think I I think that's just like how I felt about fire for the most part this year. It's been fine. Like I don't think there's any well, I mean, there's some things that have been not that great, but overall, like I don't think any episode has been like, oh my god, this is the best thing fire's ever done. But I don't think like it's been like the shittiest shittiest quality either it's just fine mm-hmm. yeah it's just fine and that to and fine. like by fire standards that's not that great but by like normal television it's fine it's fine mm-hmm. yeah so let's start off with herman and cindy this actually was this was i good. love this, this. really well yeah. yeah so uh take it away brina so Cindy has her last chemo treatment and Herman's like, I think we should throw a party. And he's like, you know, we don't get a lot of good news these days. Like you made it through the last round like a champ. He's like, you deserve to celebrate. And Cindy's like, no, I don't want it. Um, And she's like, you know, I I don't want it basically until we have like until I'm done. Like this doesn't feel like something I, you know, deserve to celebrate. Um, So later on, Herman asks Mount for a favor and he's like, you know, he tells him about wanting to celebrate Cindy and he, and Herman just says, he's like, there's only one person I know that can convince anybody to do anything. Enter Trudy Platt. Trudy shows up to visit Cindy at chemo and they have this little conversation. Trudy. Hey, what are you doing here? Oh, I've been assigned to your case. 
My case? The chemo party you don't want to have. Oh. I hear you're not feeling it's your sexiest. Uh, no. Because I'm not. And to be honest, you, Donna, and a few other girlfriends are the only ones who've seen me in this condition besides family. You know what you look like? A woman who's been through chemo. Who deserves to celebrate the end of it. We don't know it's the end. That's part of the problem. Okay, but say it is. When else are you going to have the perfect chance to go hog wild with hair and makeup? Just change it all up. What? Oh, come on, honey. I love you. But we both know you're not a big risk taker when it comes to your look. And you are. Oh, uh, Gray is bold. And I got some bold ideas for you, too. This is... This is gonna get spicy. All hail Queen Trudy Platt. Like, oh, 100%. I love her so much. I love Chicago Fire Trudy. I yes. love it. It's so I, good. Yeah. And I, I realize that the Chicago PD version of Trudy is all business, right? Because she's at work. But the fire version is where she shines. And I love that we've seen, I feel like we've seen so much more of her this year. I mean, yeah. both on PD and fire, but like on fire, especially. Yeah. Yeah, but I sure. love this and I love their little friendship and how even like Cindy's like, well, you know, you and Donna and, you know, like she like references like all the other fire housewives, which I love. Mm-hmm. I love that they have a little like girl group. Like it's so cute. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, what I wouldn't give for like a firehouse wives like game night or something. The content will never get what we deserve. Oh, my God. I would pay such good money for that, though. Like Trudy, Donna, Cindy, Chloe. Yeah. Like. Get them all together and then just like Stella gossiping. gets to go too, right? Even though she technically works at 51. She's a firehouse wife. She's a firehouse wife. I would count it. Yeah. Yeah. Stella gets to go. Yeah. Yeah. That would be amazing. Can somebody write that fic? And if that fic already exists, tell us where we can find it. Please. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So this storyline ends with Cindy showing up at Molly's at the end of shift and she has a new wig on. Um, She's found, you know, this confidence again with the help of Trudy and Herman just like Herman's in such shock. Like he's just like, she looks so happy. Um, Yeah. And then like Cindy at the end is like, you know, we're going to do a party, but it'll be when we get the news that this is all over with. She's like, because it's going to happen. Like, I believe that it's just, it's such a cute moment. She was rocking that wig. It looks so good on her. So good. I love that color. And that red lip. Yes, queen. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. I loved it so much. No, it was that the was best. Awesome. And they're so cute. Like, when they kissed at the end and he was like, I love you something awful. They're yeah. so cute. And, like, we needed this happiness for yeah. them, for us. Like, we needed this. Yep. As much as Cindy needed it, like, we needed it as viewers, too. Oh, thousand percent. Yeah, that but I loved fun. I love this so much. So sweet. Um, we did have a listener thought on this. Heather B said, Trudy's a treasure and should be protected at all costs. Also, it sounds like she and the other wives hang out regularly. And where's our firehouse spouse spinoff? Trudy the desk sergeant, Cindy the mama five, Donna the school teacher dealing with their fireman husband's shenanigans sounds <laughs> like a sitcom in the making. Why don't we have it? Cindy getting her groove back at the end of the episode was so sweet. And I love that we're finally getting a little bright spot in the storyline. Yeah. Yeah. That was well needed. Very, very much needed. So that ended well. Carver and Gallo. And all the things that go with it. 
I got opinions on this. I got opinions. These are opinions that did not fade on rewatch. I I don't like these two together as besties. I don't know. I I don't feel it. Well, I'll save my thoughts on the Carver. I will save my thoughts because it'll probably come up later. But something about Carver still just isn't there for me yet. I don't get it. I don't get it. yeah yeah we'll see yeah okay so carver shows up to work with his old beat up bronco he's got construction stuff going on after work doesn't want anybody to steal his tools of all the side gigs why construction why are we trying that was casey's thing why are we yeah it's like you made the blonde character on truck go after yeah it's it's yeah also, let's just take that one remark that Violet makes and just kind of like put that in the back of her mind. And she's like, this is the manliest car ever. Honey, were you even alive when OJ Simpson had that giant chase on TV in his Ford Bronco? Like, no, she wouldn't be. Were you? I don't think you were either. By like days, I wasn't. <laughs> By days, I wasn't. Isn't it like June 16th or something like that? Something like that. Yeah, you missed it by like three or four days. Yeah, by like days, I wasn't. Now that I think about it, I can't make that reference with like anybody because Lauren wasn't alive either by like four years. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. So Violet's like, this is such a manly car. Honey. No. (laughs) Yeah. If you like really old beat up cars hanging on by a thread, sure. Whatever. Okay. Just put that in the back of your head later. So 81 gets called out to do a wellness check. Uh, and so <laughs> let's get through the circumstances of it and then we'll add Amani's comment. But so they get to this wellness check. There's no fire and they don't have an apartment number. So they pretty much have to just have to go door by door and just yeah. like knock. And so at first, like nobody's coming to their doors and like Stella knocks on a door at some point and the woman just like slams the door in her face. But then a lady comes out and catches Gallo and Carver as they're passing by. And so she waves them in and she's just like, we got to be quiet. But like, my little boy got hurt. And so he's got like a hole in his head straight up. And he straight up just tells Carver, he's like, I was shot. And so Carver like looks at the wall and there's a bullet hole. And then he looks at the kid and he's like, what the fuck? Because wild shit. Yeah, totally wild shit. And it gets wilder. So the mom is like, dude, we just need to like fix him up. We don't want an ambulance. We don't want to go to the hospital, whatever. And Carver is like, we've got to go to the hospital. And Gallo's like, what is happening here? And she doesn't say anything. So Gallo goes to get the jump bag. And the mom admits that like there's a fight over turf going on. And she's like, you know, we just got to keep it hush, 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 whatever. So a bunch of gang members roll up and like this is when Stella's inside. So Stella's inside. Mouch sees them rolling up and gives her the heads up. And she barely gets like 10 seconds notice because shots start flying everywhere. Yeah. Um, And when this happens, so when they get to the scene, uh, when they get to the scene and they don't have an apartment number, instead of radioing Maine, Stella calls them on the phone. Yeah. And one of our listeners, Amani, had a question about this and said, why, why did she use her phone to reach dispatch when she had the radio on her? I wonder if it was just like she didn't clog up any channels. I don't know. But, like, why would you still use your phone? Yeah, I don't know. Like, it doesn't matter. I feel like the type of emergency, like, 
and it know. was like a beat up flip phone too it wasn't even a smartphone yeah was it, it wasn't like her eye she pulled out her iphone i don't think but yeah, yeah. it just it was like a weird thing yeah that just like a weird little weird you know <laughs> um into tony's dms we go and say hey please let us know can you fill in this detail for us yeah yeah so um yeah the shots start ringing out like everywhere there's just shots flying stella has holed away in a hallway so like stella's safe it's no biggie but these shots are going back and forth so carver is covering the kid and the mom gala was moving the refrigerator in front of the door so that like nobody can get in it's chaos yep just insanity happening and so while these shots are ringing out, Carver grabs Tyler's baseball mitt and he just gives it to him to hold. And he's like, look, like I played football when I was a kid and like when I was scared and I'm scared a lot. He's like, I would just think about being on the field and throwing the ball around. And he's like, can you do that? Just imagine that you're outside playing catch with like nothing in the world to worry about. Maybe it's because I'm not a child, but like that would not work for me. I don't think it would work for me either, but it seems to work for Tyler. So we're not. Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't feel it. I don't know. I just, I, yeah. Carver does nothing for me. Yeah. Just, I, there's still just something missing for me. Yeah. So, so Stella like sets off the fire extinguisher. She clears everything. She gets the shots to stop. She basically smokes them out. Yeah. Um, so they can GTFO. So they get Tyler and his mom out safely into the ambo. Carver goes with them and get this. So the bullet completely missed the brain. Okay. So like it went in on like, like sort of by his temple. It yeah. ends up in his cavity. So find the bullet in his nose. It completely missed like everything. And just basically like went in here through his cheek and then up into his sinuses and out. Crazy. What? What a lucky kid. Totally lucky kid. Yeah. That's insane. Wild. Totally wild. Yeah. That, yeah, that's just like mind blowing. Usually yeah, calls so- don't last as long, but this call is like the first, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of the whole episode. And it's just like, yeah, because so much wild shit happens. Yeah. It, it's literally like, it, it, I don't think it ends until like act three, which is like, I totally it's, lost it, track it of time. It lasts for like a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I I basically lost track of time because like in the first time I watched it, like they're still in this building and I'm just kind of like, why are we still here? What are we doing? And then I'm like, oh shit, what time is it? Like, I don't even know. Like, <laughs> Brian is probably waiting for me to take over. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it lasted a long time. But, you know, at first I was like, why? But then I was like, okay, no, I get it. This makes sense. Yeah. What doesn't make sense to me is the rest of this. Okay, so back at 51, Stella just kind of notices that Carver's kind of out of it. Like Carver and Gallo were talking. Gallo's being his Gallo self. And he's like, that was wild. And then this happened. And then this happened. And it was so crazy. Like Gallo's just being Peter Parker and just like freaking out. Carver is off on the corner being like broody Batman. He's just like, this is what I can't, this is why I can't with Carver. Is that like, he's kind of a drama queen in, in my book. Like, or he strikes me as a drama queen. I would call it him being a drama queen because drama queen makes it seem like he's doing it for like there's the implication that he's doing it for attention and I don't think that's what this is I just think for me there's still something missing about Carver and his backstory that I'm not getting on why Carver is the way he is yeah that's to me what's missing like 
they're presenting all this stuff and he's like moodiness and whatever. And we got like a little bit of his backstory, obviously, right? With his brother and all that stuff. But then they keep, and I was like, okay, maybe we're done with the secrets and the, you know, whatever. And I'm like, okay, I got it. And now it's like, he's still moody and he's still got all this shit and he won't talk about it. And I'm just like, why? Right. That, and I think that's, that's more what I mean about him being a drama queen is that everything that happens in this firehouse makes him think of something else that gets him all broody. Like you could do a parody of it where every episode of fire is just Carver being broody in the background. And I think the thing is, I'm even trying to think about like every time they've brought in new characters, like I think there's always been a good balance of like leaving a backstory ambiguous enough so that you can find out about the details of the backstory as time goes on, but mm-hmm. also then still finding a way for the characters to be relatable and have a connection with them like right off the bat. And that's the part that's missing for Carver for me. Right. And I just, I don't know. It's just not hitting the way that most of the other new characters have uh, that they've brought in over the course of time. And something about Carver. And I wonder, too, if part of it with Carver is we have higher expectations of him because there's kind of this big hole at the top right now at Fire with, like, obviously Jesse Spencer having left. And he was Carver. Not that he was Jesse's replacement, but he kind of is Jesse's replacement in some ways but like then you've got the Severide of it all too and like Severide's gone like I think we just have maybe higher expectations of Carver because there's a lot of holes on fire right now and maybe that's why we're feeling like he's not holding up I don't know I don't know like if Carver gets brought up in in like season nine when like everything is hunky-dory and fine like do we feel this way about him if he's still brooding in the background with no reason why, I mean, I think we're still asking the question, but I don't think we're as irked by it. We're just like, right. whatever, like if, go, like go if be Carver comes in when Gallo comes in, like if Gallo never existed and Carver comes in then and said, and like everything else is fine, hunky dory, Casey's fine, Severide's fine, like everything else is fine. I just wonder if like the absences of everyone else on fire, like if we're giving Carver, if there's higher expectations on Carver because of it. Uh, to us as fans the good question and i don't think that's all of it but i think that may be part of it i think yeah i i could see that i could certainly see that i don't know I just, but i think he's just not hitting for me he's not he's not i think they're doing too much of the same thing with him which is like they're hinting at stuff from the past without actually telling us i'm losing my patience straight up like i'm really sick of him just walking around the firehouse being super sad and dramatic with absolutely no idea why and the thing is, is, like, I don't think he's going anywhere. No. So, like, we got to kind of get used to it. And I'm like, eh, like, give yeah. me something else then. Like, I don't, give me something else then. Exactly. Exactly. And I, it feels like they're still trying to find his footing. And, like, yeah, I don't know. He spent I don't 16 know. episodes, though. I know. No, I like know. Like, everyone but... else, it takes, like, three <laughs> You notice how they've completely like taken him out of Stella's orbit now where like that 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 seems to be over where he was like lusting after her. They like and it, done but a again though, but like and this is such a terrible question is like is that a result of Taylor leaving? Like if Taylor's still around and Severide's there to like kind of go at Carver a little bit, like do they still do that storyline or is it like they were always going to abandon it? I mean, which I hope is the case. I feel like we're going to be able to ask that question for years to come, right? Like, it's going to be a butterfly effect. We're going to be like, well, if this didn't happen, followed by this, which led to that, 
Would oh, any I mean, of I'm this planning on out? asking Derek all those questions oh, in the spring, no, I know. but like, I know. Yeah. I just, you know, it's just, I feel like it's weird timing. And maybe this is again, but like, I feel like it's weird timing that like all of this happens. Like Carper stops being interested in Stella basically as soon as Taylor leaves. In all fairness, they had to adjust on the fly. No, I know. And I'm not complaining about that. I'm not complaining about that. But again, I just, is that a result of Taylor leaving or was that always the plan? I don't know. Don't know. Don't know. But I feel like we didn't, we didn't get enough context in this episode to justify why Carver did what he did. Oh, no. No, no, no. 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 Because... It just seemed, it, it made a little bit of sense, but not a ton of sense. Yeah. It just, it, it, it's more so weird what he did. It, 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 it more came across as weird than it did like, oh, that makes sense. Right. Or like, oh, that's really nice of him. Yeah. 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 So uh, back at 51, Carver's just like, no, kids should have to be this scared. Uh, did you like the emo like head turn? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Stella's like, well, wait a second. Like, I think Tyler got pretty attached to you. Like, you got a, like a gift with kids. And he was like, no, no. And she was like, no, like, you had a real connection. And then he was like, no, kids should ever have to be scared. <laughs> um, yeah. So meanwhile, Gallo, <laughs> Gallo, Gallo exits this conversation. This is the greatest. So Gallo exits the conversation by saying, I'm going to go check on the medics. Gallo. Just say what you mean, okay? Say what you mean. You're going to go talk to Violet. It's fine. Going, yeah, you don't care about Brett. You're going to check on Violet. Just say Which it. Which is fine. It is what it is. But, like, just say it. Just be honest about it. You don't have to lie. Yeah. You don't. You just, you were going to check on Violet. And that's it. Uh, yeah, so he goes to find Violet and he gets friend zoned hard. Uh, I don't want it to be weird between us. Neither do I. Like, I'm, I shouldn't have said anything about my feelings the other day. It, it's not like it's a huge issue for me. It's just. You don't have to explain yourself. We had a thing, and there's always been some of that thing still there. But um, by now, we've learned we're better when we ignore that thing and are just friends, you know? Yeah, yeah, I do. I couldn't have made it the last few months without friendship part so i'm never letting it go it's good by me sorry but not sorry i'm just glad that they both recognize that like yeah the feelings are like they they both put it out there like yes feelings have always existed Mm -hmm. the feelings have always existed from her side and from his side feelings are what they are but they also need their friendship more than they need their feelings. Well, she needs their friendship more than they need their feelings. Did you not get the subtext of this that like they were pretty much burying how they felt? Well, yeah. Yeah. Cause I got that subtext. Like I'm pretty yeah. sure I'm pretty sure Gala was like, yeah, she doesn't mean that, but I'm just gonna roll with it. No, what I think I, I think it started with Gallo last. Well, I keep wanting to say last week. It wasn't last week. Last episode, whatever that episode was, 20 years ago. Um, You know, and again, I know you and I disagree about that locker room scene. That you and I have very different opinions on what that locker room scene was. But I think it started, like, and I'm not saying, I think eventually at some point they're still going to go the Violet and Gallo 
way. I think it is what it is. But I think for the sake of fans and, you know, for Violet's sake too, I think right now is not the right time. And I'm glad they both recognize that and are like, okay, we're going to ignore it for right now. And like, mm-hmm. we're not going to ruin it. Like, we're just basically going to put it aside and be friends. Yeah, we'll see how long it lasts. Hopefully at least another season. But there was some, there was weirdness happening all over in this episode. Um, oh yeah, we'll get to the other part of the vi- other Violet thing. Do we have to start saying it now every time you say Violet? Like, do we have to? Oh yeah, is that starting this week? I don't know. Oops. I don't know. We never really spelled out the terms of the bet and I'm afraid to ask Well, we Jimmy. thought it was also going to be like two more weeks from now. We didn't think we were conceding this week. Yeah, I'm like I'm I'm too afraid to ask him and like what he's gonna say. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. We'll just say we'll start it next episode. We'll start it after we've talked to Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. Next week. Next week. Um, we'll just put that off one week. But yeah, so um, yeah, there was a lot of weirdness all over the place with Violet and multiple characters this week. It was weird. Yeah, very weird. Yeah. So then Seeger shows up and I'm still, I'm feeling, I am feeling Seeger and Carver. I don't know what works about them, but it works. I like them, but I get the vibe. Well, we'll get to it in a second. Well, she loosens him up a little bit, right? She gets him to stop being so stuffy. And the thing is though, I like them. I still like them. I just get the vibe that that's not going to be around for a long time. They better not take this the way that they were hinting at this week. What? The other character way? We'll get there. We'll get there. I don't know what you're... Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, they, like, Seeger shows up. She's got the stable reports, whatever. Stella realizes immediately, like, on their first interaction, she's like, oh, I need to exit. We're by piecing out. Exit stage left. She's like, something is happening. Okay, cool. So, yeah, Seeger just kind of checks in on Carver and is like, I think we could have some fun later. And, like, I can help you, like, forget about all this stuff that's going on. And he's like, okay, cool. Like, mm, yeah. Yeah. So also Brett and Ritter, like, meanwhile, Brett and Ritter are talking and they're basically talking about like Gallo and Violet's weirdness and how that's going to die down and how like, you know, basically Ritter's just like, don't jinx it. Ritter is so done with Gallo and Violet. It is so. Ritter is like the entire fandom. He has had it with their bullshit, but honestly, same. (laughs) Same. Yeah. I loved the way at the very beginning how like Gala was like, oh, my weekend was like, whatever. And then Violet walks up and he's like, oh, my weekend was great. And he was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I was like, <laughs> Ritter is every single one of us, like you said. Yeah. Well, and Brett's like, oh, who are we kidding? But, you know, no matter what happens, the weirdness is going to come and go forever. And Ritter's like, I will survive it. I'm telling you. Literally all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Literally all of us. So Carver goes to his construction gig, which, like, honestly, I don't know if that was a set or, like, a, an apartment, but it definitely looked like Casey's old, like, super bad like bachelor pad. It looked like first place. It looked exactly like his bachelor pad. It's but, wild. Yeah. So um, he goes to his construction gig. Also, the dad in this one, he was, like, the creepy riverwalk killer from PD back in, like, season two. How do you remember that? I did not remember that. Twitter caught it. I knew he looked familiar because I was like, why is his face like sounding alarm bells in my head? And somebody had tweeted it that was like, wait, he was like the crazy riverwalk killer in season two. Basically the guy who gave those like seminars about how like women no, say no, I but they really No, I remember the yes. episode, yeah. but I would have never picked up that that was the same guy. 
because this fandom is full of geniuses and detectives and there is nothing that we miss jesus there is nothing this fandom will miss jesus just saying just saying so yeah so everything's fine and like the kids got a baseball whatever and the dad's just like wait like leave him alone you know he's not gonna get the, the thing done whatever and he goes to like pick up his ball and he and carver sees the baseball mitt and basically just like goes from like fine to like broody and serious again Mm -hmm. which like give me context stop like i could make like a whole youtube supercut of like carver brooding at random objects for no reason i need context i need context i'm getting bored Mm -hmm. straight up so um yeah so the dad also like the dad like marvels at his car briefly which like i don't get it what why are we like I, yeah, the car thing is not necessary. Well, no, it's not necessary. Well, I mean, I, I guess it, the whole reason the car becomes necessary is for the money, but like still. Well, yeah, but I don't understand why everybody's got such a boner over a beat up Bronco from 25 years ago. Why? Why do? And why does anyone like old cars? Yeah, but like I think of old cars and I think from like decades past. I don't think like a 1996 Bronco that he probably got for like. 2500 bucks on a used car lot who knows yeah who knows i don't know i don't know uh yeah so carver's up all night thinking about it because like he just he can't sleep while he's in he's bed with seager while he's in bed with seager oh what my god <laughs> he's becoming a wet blanket he really is um yeah Okay, so Seeger's like, what is going on? Like, what's sticking with you about this one? He's like, I'm not really sure. And so she's just like, okay, well, it's my duty as part of CFD to, like, make you forget. hmm Yeah, okay. So Carver, Carver ends up selling his Bronco to the guy he did the construction job for. And then he takes the money to Tyler's mom and tells them, like, to get out. Yeah. So he's like, you guys need to move. Like, this should be enough to cover, like, first and last month's rent. Uh, but he basically, this is, this is our little bit of context and I'm confused by this. So he goes, I wish someone had gotten me out of my bad situation when I was his age. Let me do this for the, for him. Okay. So your brother threw you in a fire and the adults didn't do anything for you. Okay. But what? I thought that was later in his life. What age did that happen to Carver? Wasn't he, he was like nine, wasn't he? Oh, was it? I okay. I don't think he was a teenager. I think he was a kid. Okay, then yeah, that would make sense. Where you assume Tyler's like maybe I don't know seven, eight, so like close enough. I what what did he? I mean, what did he want to happen? Did he want a relative to like come and take him away from his parents? Well, yeah, I would have if I was him. I guess I could see that. I mean, you know, but it's still, I agree. I, that aside, like, it's still, that's not enough. Like, this little one sentence is like, okay. Right. I, like, I still just, I need more. Yeah. That, that's it. Because are you referring to just that one thing or is there more about you that we don't know? And it's like, if you had said, like, you know, I went through a situation. And I don't know if he would have told this to this random lady, but, like, still, if he had said it even to Seeger or Stella or whoever, like, some reference to the fire, 
that he, you know, got thrown into as a kid. Okay, fine. It He's having feelings about the fire still. Okay, fine. But this one cut, I don't know. I just, I still just, there is something missing for Carver for me. Usually when there's a situation like this where they basically let the audience draw their own conclusions, there are usually enough context clues there that like you can pretty much form one type of narrative and have enough evidence to support it, right? Yeah. There's too much too much vagueness here for us to be able to draw like a concise conclusion to this. You've got to like do some filling in of the white space yourself. Yeah, it's just weird. Messy. It's messy. And I just and then- don't know if I'm and regardless of all the missing context, like I just don't know even if you said you gave me all of it, like there's still something about Carver just as a character that I don't know if I like am buying into. Same. Same. And I'm not saying that it won't change eventually or whatever, because I mean, look at Dean Archer. We went from hating Dean Archer to like me being Loving a him. Dean Archer. Yeah, like being Dean Archer stand. So like mm-hmm. not saying the change can't happen, but like right now, Carver isn't doing it for me. He's boring. And they're giving him so much, which, like, I get it. But, like, I don't... I I want to see everyone else almost at this point and not Carver. And like, I agree with that. Give completely. me more Mouch. Give me more Cruz. Give me more Violet. Give me more Brett. Give me more Gallo. Give me more Ritter. Give me more Stella. Like, give me everyone else except for Carver. And I feel bad saying that, but, like... It's how I but feel. I agree with you. I completely agree with you right now. I just feel like they need really to right. like not shove him down our throats right now. Like give him stuff, sure, but like it's just so much Carver. Well, and it's annoying because we felt like we were starting to make progress, right? And then all of a sudden his brother came into the picture and we went back to square one. Yeah. And it would have been one thing if he had been thrown off his game for that one episode and then rebounded, but no, we had him like he was too drunk to come to work in the next episode. Yeah. Which we just don't like. Well, I mean, not, like, kind of give us Seeger because, like, obviously, we've always wanted Seeger to, like, back off of Severide. So, like, they're giving the Carver and Seeger, which is great. But then Car- Sela- or Seeger had that whole conversation with the girls and Raider about how he's like, she's like, yeah, the thing that works about it is that, like, he's not really a settled town kind of guy and I'm not a settled down kind of girl. But if I was, you know, I wouldn't let him go. And it's like, so you're basically telling us this probably isn't going to last that long. Because you're both not settled down kind of people. Okay? Yeah, and that pivots into the weirdness of whatever Carver and Violet interactions we had in this episode. Yeah, what the hell did that come from? What the hell was that? And all of a sudden, everyone's, like, shipping it. (laughs) No! (laughs) Please, God, no! Okay, but I have a question, though. Oh, I know what I'm you're about saying, to ask. What? What am I going to ask? Would you rather have Carver and Violet or, Gal- or Gallo and Violet? Okay, yeah, that was not my question. I know you too well. I know you too well. Neither? Can I vote for option C? I'm like, a meteor strikes <laughs> the firehouse. I don't like either one of those options. I don't know. I just... It's not like... I don't hate the idea of it in like a season or two from now. I don't hate the idea of it, but like you got to fix the Carver situation first before we can like throw him in. Like, no, 
what's the what that there's a name for that trope it's like sunshine and grumpy or something like that yeah the grumpy like, sunshine trope no thank you no thank you violet's got enough on her plate okay like digging him out of his sad hole is not like she's not responsible for getting him to open up and be vulnerable that's what i said you gotta fix carver first yeah and then we can talk i just hope that they i hope that they're not like going in that direction with that goal who knows where they're going anymore the more like yeah, the more interaction there was, the more rage I had in my heart because I was just like, I was like, this is bullshit. There is no other man for Violet than freaking Evan and they went and killed him, okay? Like, <laughs> rage. Rage. It makes me, like, the more time we get away from it, the angrier I am. I'm like, he was the only guy for her, okay? This is like Gilmore Girls and like, are you Team Dean or Team Logan or Team Jess? Team Evan for life. I think you can still be, though... And obviously I'm not telling you how to, I, but I think in general, I think you can be like, still, that was the right person for you, but also like she's 25, 26. I think it's eventually she's going to fall in love with someone else. I just want her to give her the time to grieve and like get over Evan before we just like have her jump in bed with somebody else. I am, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't see it. I don't want it. I mean, and this could very well, we've had so many situations on this podcast where we've talked about potential ships and been like, ew, no, never. And then like cut to a year later and we're like, this is fantastic. Yeah. This is that point of it. This is the beginning of that point where we're like, oh, I at least I'm like, ew, no, never. Absolutely not. (laughs) Cut to us in 2024 being like, they're so great together. Yeah. How do you feel about this? What about Violin Carver? If that's where they're going. like i don't think i saw enough in those two interact in that one interaction really to be like i ship it because i don't know if i'm there yet but do i if i'm like sitting here really thinking about it do i hate the idea of it in like a year from now i don't know if i hate the idea of it but like i don't know no (laughs) i don't know anymore no I have ship attachment issues. I have trust issues. We all have trust issues. That's, and that's the be thing is like, too. even if you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll get on board with the car and Violet. Then I just have trust issues. So like, I don't know if I want to ship that. I feel like I need to start practicing. And every time you say Violet, just be like Hawkins for life. Uh, Jimmy said we only had to technically say it one time. An episode? No, we didn't. Yeah, he said if they do it one time, that'll be good enough. Because, like, let's be real, they're gonna have to do this for the rest of their lives. Really, I gotta go back and listen to the bet then. But yeah, it's gonna be hard if we have to do it every single time. No, it's totally gonna be hard. That's exactly why he did it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Fucking Jimmy. Fucking UCLA and Duke and Kansas and UVA and every other school that completely screwed us. Yeah, and every single school in Jimmy's Final Four that is still in the game. <laughs> Anyway. Gonzaga should be playing right now, shouldn't they? Uh, I don't know. Probably. Let's see. Yes, it's halftime. And they're losing. Oh, now they start losing. Kansas State lost! Okay. Now Jimmy's down to two teams in his final four. FAU. FAU won? Mm-hmm. They're in the same conference as my alma mater. Yeah, FAU like- won. 
we're gonna have to hear about that for the dawn of time now every year we make the tournament it's gonna be like fau made it to the final four yeah fau won imagine if they win the whole thing wild that would be wild. yeah who are they playing in the final four uh i don't know if it's been because they have more games tomorrow to determine uh, thanks for tuning in to meet us at march madness <laughs> yeah anyway listener thoughts heather b said as always i love carver and they are pulling off a redemption for him flawlessly given what we have learned about him this episode once again tugged at the heartstrings particularly particularly when he told Tyler that he thought of football when he was scared, and he said, I'm scared a lot in present tense instead of I was scared a lot, referring to his childhood. I think that it shows another side to him and the image of the perfect, brave firefighter that he tried to embody. Him selling his Bronco to help Tyler and his mom find a safer living situation because he wanted that for himself when he was younger, even though we know he was very, he has very little in the bank himself at the moment because of his brother had me reaching for my tissues. Respectfully disagree, Heather same but it is interesting to see that we're we feel one way and that other people do feel another way about carver yeah yeah we do yeah let us know how you're feeling about carver because um we're curious and and it's okay to disagree just putting that out there yeah for sure okay yeah for sure um and then she also said, him driving an old Bronco seems to fit, and I love Violet's comments about it being the manliest vehicle ever and Gallo's reaction. Speaking of Violet, I definitely saw some looks, and I did laugh a bit because I said a long time ago I would rather them put Violet and Carver together than reunite Valo, and now I'm wondering if that's going to happen. Don't get me wrong, I like Seeger Seaver and Carver together, but given his distracted look while they were in bed and Seeger's emphasis to Violet that it was just casual, but he was a guy she would keep around if that was something she was looking for makes me wonder if Carvakami Samlet will become a thing. I wouldn't hate <laughs> I wouldn't hate it. Ritter would probably have to take Gallo's mouth shut if it happened, though. He's so done with them, and I love it. I just hope that if they do go the Violet and Carver route, it isn't it isn't her trying to save him because they that isn't working out for anyone well for anyone this season. And that's what I worry they're gonna do. That's what I'm saying. Like it can't happen now. If they're going to do it, it needs to happen in, like, a year from now. There's that TikTok sound where, like, the girl's like, we are not rehab for broken men. That. (laughs) I've never heard that one. But that sounds, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, the next up, we've got Cruz and Bamford and Stella. Mm -hmm. And and this, this this was good. I enjoyed this yeah yeah okay so who just you covered the last one right or did i no you it's my turn it's your turn (laughs) i'm sorry i'm not like paying full attention i am paying attention but it's saturday we're not used to this we're not used to recording on a saturday yeah Okay. okay so cruz is officially taking over for severide as interim lieutenant of squad uh but of course, Bowden brought in someone as a floater to fill the void. This guy, Keith Bamford. And Bamford is something. He's a choice. He's a choice. He's a choice. He's a choice. I will say, though, his Uncle Fester joke is pretty funny, though. I'm not going to lie. I-, I laughed at the snake gag. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> that was funny. But, like, he sits in separate squad chair, which is, like, a big no-no. Yeah. No, no, no. We don't. No, no, no. 
And Cruz, so Cruz is struggling a little bit as like trying to find his footing. So Bowden has to find Cruz and tell him that like he filled out his report wrong. Um, so he had like has to make the corrections and resubmit it. And Stella goes to Severide's office as just kind of like a habit, and she finds Cruz in there, and they have this heart to heart. Hey, uh, oh, um, Chief said that I could use this office. It's just there's so much paperwork. Of, of course you should. Yeah. <clears throat> Funny, I actually came in here on instinct. That's what I always do when there's a rough call or I just need to talk. You can talk to me if you want. I, I, I know there's no comparison, but come on in. Hey, uh, Gallo was telling us about that call. That sounds like something. I really miss him. I bet. I know it's partly because I didn't have time to prepare. You know, the slot came up so suddenly. Yeah, it feels like he just disappeared. I think it shook everybody up a little, me included. He really jumped at the chance. And I don't know why, honestly. Because I always thought that Arson was his sidekick. Now suddenly, it's center stage. Still a great experience, no matter what. It is. And I did this last year. I went away, got wrapped up in Girls on Fire, and got a little distance, so I get it. Throwing yourself into a project for a while can be great. I just hope I'm not missing something. That there's not something more serious going on. That's all. I love this because I felt like this was the writer's telling the fans like we recognize what you're feeling like i really feel like that was them talking to the fans about and like the fans feelings about taylor yeah like that and that was just like a really nice moment to see that they recognize that mm -hmm. um because they could have very much like just kind of glossed over it and been like yeah okay whatever but like i just i really appreciated that it absolutely kills me that she was like, she's like, I just kind of come in here on instinct and like, she totally did it just like a normal day. And there's like, yeah, oh. I, that hurt me a little bit. I was like, oh, she came in looking for Sav, my heart. Yeah. When she's just like, I just miss him. I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. me too. Me yeah, same too. Girl. Same. Yeah. But then like the fact that she's doubting herself, I felt so bad. And she's like, she's like, yeah, I mean, I did this last year with Girls on Fire and everything. But like, you know, is everything okay? I'm like, oh, honey, you guys were when fine she before he left. Yeah. And she has like all the thoughts about like, I thought this was just supposed to be like a side gig. And like now it seems like it's becoming his full career. And I'm like, I don't want to be on arson. No, I mean, it never hurts to learn more about these kind of things, right? Yeah. It never hurts to like add to your knowledge base. But Yeah. Poor Stella. Yeah. I don't like when she doubts herself. No, me either. So after shift, Stella apologizes to Cruz for unloading on him. And she's like, I'm sure everything's fine with Kelly. Um, and he's like, you know, it's no problem. And then he reassures her. She's like, he's like, I've just never seen two people more perfect for each other than you and Severide. And she's just like, well, you and Chloe. And he's like, well, duh. 
so sweet. Okay, look, if the worst case scenario does happen and Taylor does not come back, I am here for these two being co-captains and constantly hyping each other up. Yeah. If they're going to be like our lieutenants leading the charge, like them and Herman, I'm like, yes, I will. I I, I love that. I will not accept any other outcome. If Taylor does not come back, Cruz had better be in charge of squad. I feel like they're going to make that happen. If if Taylor doesn't come back. So I'm here for them as besties and just constantly hyping each other. Yeah. So Bowden comes in and he tells Cruz that like, basically he, they just found out that like, if he's going to want to keep running squad, he's got to get his instructor two certification like today. (laughs) And he's like, but Javi's got a ball game. And Bowden just like gives him the look and he's like, fine, I'll call Chloe. Cruz are precious boy dad. Yeah. I love it. So Bowden goes to Stella and asks her for her honest opinion about Cruz's leadership. And she then in turn hypes him up to Bowden. And we get this. Hey. Hey. I am going to need your honest assessment. Of course. What about? When Severide took furlough and we knew that it wasn't going to be a quick one. XQ pressured me into bringing in a relief lieutenant. I argued for letting Cruz act up in the interest of uh, continuity and house morale. Makes perfect sense. Cruz doesn't seem to be enjoying the added responsibility. Squad is an elite unit. He's got very big shoes to fill. HQ is watching him like a hawk. That is a heavy burden put on someone who didn't ask so what are you thinking why not take the pressure off thank him for filling in bring in a relief lieutenant and joe go back to doing what joe does best chief whether joe wanted the job or not he's in it now and he needs to handle it on his terms if you snatch it away from him you'll shake his confidence he may never try again again this love it love it he legit came to her for perspective like it's yeah. a perspective he doesn't have as the higher up mm-hmm. i love that yeah and like he respects her opinion enough to be like hey can you fill me in here mm-hmm. i love that so cruz runs a drill with squad on the apron floor and it turns ugly for a second everyone starts squabbling um bamford's still trying to like pull jokes and whatever and like he gets angry and he like storms out of this drill and he's like, no wonder Severide hightailed it out of here. Rude. You this just bitch. got here. You cannot. This bitch. Yeah. No. No. He doesn't so, even go here. Yeah. Like you don't get to make those accusations. No. So Stella goes to find Cruz and she's like, hey, all your guys are still out on that floor. And Cruz is like freaking out. And she just encourages him, and we get this lovely conversation. You ever heard of imposter syndrome? It's when you're afraid that everyone is going to find out that you're a fraud when, in fact, you are not. What's it called when you really are? Your job is not to be Severide. Your job is to be yourself. This is what Kelly texted me when he heard that Bowden was keeping you on as acting lieutenant. 
That's great. Joe is the best man for that job. Not just smart and competent, but tough as they come. So, you tell me. Does he have it wrong? Is Kelly Severide a poor judge of character? of self-doubt when I became lieutenant too. So I speak from experience when I say, don't second guess yourself, Cruz. Because nobody else second guesses you. Yeah, I don't think Bamford got that memo. Then make sure to give it to him. Yeah. I love this and I love that she like used because we all know about Severide and Cruz and how close they are like I love that she like knew that that was gonna like help build up his confidence and so she like reads her text from Sev like I love that yeah also just the reassurance that she and Sev are still talking and that there's like like no one's ghosting anyone this time around I mean she's even going to Alabama to see him like thank goodness I'll take it yeah there's been too much ghosting on these shows yeah yeah but no i just love all these conversations like you said i love them being new besties like i will take all of that all the time yeah yeah we got a lot of the, like when we've never really seen stella and cruz interact i'm glad we saw it only in really bigger good. instances when it's been like stella cruz herman mouch or like back when otis like you know like when Otis was here, like only in like kind of those group settings, mm-hmm. but never really like Stella and Cruz one on one, right? So right. no, I loved it. it was so good, yeah. Um, we had some listener thoughts about this. Obviously, Natasha said, "I feel like the first scene with Stella and Joe in Kelly's office. Her saying that she really missed him. Her saying that part of it is that she didn't have time to prepare. I feel like it was expressing what Stella is feeling, but also what the fire cast crew creators are feeling and what fans of the show are feeling. We miss him. It was sudden, and we hope everything's okay. And why? Yes, yes, I did start crying. Also, I like that Stella's being honest with her fifty-one family. She misses him, and she's not doing well. I think when she was alone last year, she wasn't doing." doing well but didn't have anyone that she loved and who loved her around her and that led to shut that that led to the shutdown and ghosting i think it's good to see her talk to them mm-hmm. yeah i yeah. agree 100 and heather b said td should take notes because the conversation between stella and cruz is exactly what Haley has needed to have about jay for 13 episodes now truth um but that would require her to have friends in the unit so it's probably never going to happen touche Joe did an awesome job this episode portraying Cruz at his breaking point under pressure. We've all been to the point Cruz reached of just not being able to handle anymore once things started to pile up. I love that they were able to have several nice moments between Stella and Cruz because I don't think we've seen them really interact much before. It's a great friendship moment of the two of them being the ones closest to Severide and both struggling with his absence. It felt like this plot got right with Severide and Sylvie's about Casey got wrong if I had to compare them. That's a good. That. Yeah, that's a good parallel yes yeah. that is so true it's exactly what severide and sylvie needed to have about casey yeah for sure mm-hmm. for sure instead yep. we got gallo and his feelings which is fine and like also a valid plot story but we needed that too mm-hmm. so i yeah I, w- I would not have thought to compare them but that is exactly yeah mm-hmm 
Yeah. Yeah. Any other notes about this episode of Fire? No, but I am excited. I mean, I don't know how 17 is going to go, but 18. I'm excited for what's to come, I think, in Fire in the next couple episodes. Maybe not 17, but 18 for sure. Give me all of the Casey. Give it to me now. Yeah. I'm like, can we just skip over next week? It's fine. But actually, though... I Can't just you just see switch Matt. 18 and 17? I just want to see Matt. Yeah. But next week we get to, oh, on Wednesday we get to see him in the promo, hopefully. Hopefully. So we don't have that much longer to wait, hopefully. Oh my God. Yeah. Jesse, come home. We really need that merch. We do. We do. All right. Let's stretch it. It's PD time. And speaking of Jesse's. Yep. This episode was directed by the one and only Jesse Lee Soffer. Mm-hmm. I miss him so much. Yeah. I know. Um, he did a great job with this. I thought this episode was fantastic. Yeah. I also think it helped that the first time we watched it was in a screener. I really think that makes the difference on PD episodes. Because we're able to digest the information. It's not 10 o'clock at night. It's not being interrupted by commercials like it's all just there like yeah i think that really makes a difference for me honestly with pd and yeah me too because i really got to sit down and take my time with the episode like i um you know usually brina will outline pd i did it this week um but i i'm glad i did because i feel like i really got to sit in the episode and really like just kind of wait around in the details and just be Mm -hmm. like okay that's ironed out that makes sense because of this and just kind of like you really get to sit down and take the time to piece the whole episode together. And when you do that, when you get that time to really dive in deep, you really appreciate the episodes for exactly what they are. Mm-hmm. So I thought this, I thought Jesse did a fantastic job for his first time. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, this was, I mean, yeah. So Void episodes are never our favorite. We've made that quite clear in the past. You know, no. it happens. But this was a very well-executed Void episode. And what I love about it is that it ended with the question we all had while we were watching. It ended with the question. Because throughout the whole episode, you're watching and you're just like, okay, like, is Void Void's getting shit done? Yes. But is this still, like, is he still in the right for this? Like, oh, okay. I was like, I don't know. I thought you were talking about something else. I was like, I don't know where you're going with this, but okay. Sorry. Um. But also I will say that like the exposition of this episode, which is basically like the background information we need that we usually get in like the first act, right? I have never seen the exposition set up in such a clear and concise way before in my life. What I will say, the thing that I was going to say is the thing that I have liked about PD and what they've done this year, and I think I've mentioned it in other episodes before, but the thing that I really liked is that like they've given us these cases that span over, granted it's still maybe episodes in between, but like you get this Voight one, which goes back to the last Voight one. Like, we're not getting just these random cases every week mm-hmm. that really have nothing to do with anything. Like, even the cases are connecting from, like, one Voight episode to the next Voight episode, which, like, make you feel a little bit invested because you've already, you're like, oh, yeah, that was this, and this is what happened at the end of the last Voight episode. Like, I just, I appreciate that a lot more. Like, if you're gonna do this weird storytelling where you, like, skip episodes every week, like, it's nice to not just have the cases that really never mean anything take up most of the episode. Yeah. Like, at least give us cases that mean something and, like, connect. And they're, like, longer drawn-out cases. 
Because, like, that makes it a little more exciting to me, at least. Right. So I really appreciated that this was a continuation of the last Void episode. For sure. For sure. And I, I mean, again, the benefit of having the screener is that you really get to sit with the episode and really pick it apart. And so I think that really helped, especially in this episode where there's two sides to the story, right? There's two sides of every argument, but you oh, really, really got three. What? You're, they always say that's, that there's three sides to every story, yours, mine, and the truth. The truth. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, you know, and I'm coming at this with a lawyer brain, of course, where like, you know, there's the prosecution's argument, the defense's argument, and that's like, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it really helped to, especially on a void episode, I'm really glad I got that time to really sit there in the details and say, okay, well, here's what I think about this, but what is the counter to this? What's the other argument that might be made on the other side? And so I'm really, I'm really glad I got that opportunity to just sit there, especially in a void episode and look at the whole 360 instead of just my feelings and sticking with that. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was really good. So Hank's in court. We start this episode. Hank is in court. He's testifying for ASA Chapman. She's back. Um, yeah. And so there, it's it's a murder case, basically. And again, I've never seen the facts set up this concisely. So question guy, real quick. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Boy, when he gets up on the stand, am I the only one that never knew intelligence was in organized crime? I thought it like intelligence. I thought it was like two separate things. I thought organized crime was organized crime and then intelligence. But Voight gets up there and he explains, he's like, you know, Hank Voight, 21st, whatever, blah, blah, blah. He says intelligence, organized crime division. And I was like, what? I thought organized crime was its own separate thing, the same way that you have like vice and guns and gangs and intelligence. I thought it was that kind of thing. I thought I did not know intelligence and organized crime were like, organized crime was an umbrella and like intelligence was under it i was shocked luge clear this up for us please i was shocked it was just like it's a tiny little thing but like that was like i was like what Mm -hmm. yeah anyway carry on it's always it's always a little jarring when like hank says his full name and he's like henry voight we're like oh 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 we're using the fancy name okay got it well, it's like <laughs> going back to fire real quick like every time someone calls carver sam i'm like who's sam yeah. I'm like, oh, you mean Carver. Okay. That's funny. Somebody asked me this li- recently. I can't remember. Oh, what was the context? I feel like somebody asked me, maybe even as early as last week, we're like, oh, I know what it was. Uh, one of my other bridesmaids, Brenda, she's watching Chicago Med right now. And, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of will fill in the gaps for her on the other shows too. And so she asked me straight up, she was like, so if they all refer to each other by last name on fire, why does everybody call Violet Violet and not Makami? And I was just kind of like, well, it just kind of, I guess it's what flows more in the moment. Like if you're in the middle of a call and you need to call somebody to get something, Violet well, slips off the tongue a lot easier than Mikami. Yeah. And I guess it really just depends. Cause like for the most part, everyone gets their last name. Mouch has Mouch, right? Mouch is, I mean, no one calls him a Colin, but like Stella goes back and forth a lot of time. Like they call her kid, but they also call her Stella a lot um yeah so yeah yeah okay so they we basically prevent the present the facts so this guy Villar he was supposed to testify against Morales in 2018 Villar goes missing ballistics on the gun come back and it's a slam dunk of a case like everything points to and that's where the last episode ended 
Yeah. That they all knew that it was Morales. Like, they found the fingers in the pavement. And that's where the last Voight episode ended, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the case is just a complete slam dunk. So, while Hank is describing Valar's injuries, he notices a juror who seems a little, like, distressed. He's, like, kind of squirmy. He's doing weird stuff. He's just kind of, like, uncomfortable. And so, you know, Chapman does her closing argument, whatever. They talk a little bit. And I don't know. I think in the last episode, Chapman made me a little uncomfortable. But the more I thought about it, I was like, okay, I think I'm starting to come around to her. But more about that later. But somewhere along the way, between like somewhere between like the the like the courtroom and the like the exit to the courthouse, somewhere along the way, he called Haley. Yeah, so, that was like okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so I, I guess like I mean, the stir was just kind of squirming, being a little like weird. But, like, I guess it was bad enough that he needed to run it by Haley. Okay. Um, I still yeah. don't like that she is his go-to. But in all fairness, she is now his only detective. Yeah. I, w- I would have said, though, like, yeah, it's a little weird that he always goes to Haley. But, like, if he calls, like, Burgess, I also would have thought that would have been weird, too. Or, like, I would have been, I-, I think whoever he called it would have been weird. But, like, Haley's the least weird. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's still weird, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to just be like, here's what this juror was up to and here's why I feel weird about it. But Hank's like, let's follow him home. Because that's so, good. This is one in a string of questionable de- decisions from Hank in this episode. Oh, yeah. Okay. There are a million different ways that this could go horribly wrong. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I said, I tweeted it during the episode and I meant it. You guys are going to get a lesson in criminal procedure today. There are a million different ways that this could have gone wrong. Okay. So first of all, he is a witness for the state. Okay. He is a witness for the state. Your bro here, the juror, he is a juror. Those two cannot interact at all outside of the courtroom. Nope. They cannot. Because if they do... There's the risk of something being tainted along the way. He might have been unduly influenced. The whole case can fall apart. Mm-hmm. So this is really dangerous of Hank to be following him home. Yep. Because he's like, going to do it anyway. He's going to do it anyway. Yep. Okay. So he's like, well, I'm a state's witness. So like, I can't really do anything. Like, Haley, you go and talk to him and do That's this. That's not so, any better. Not any better. Nope. Because it's under his direction. Yep. You guys, one misstep from Haley, and this could have cost Chapman the entire case. Uh-huh. The entire case. So she gets lucky here, though, because, I mean, like, she walks up, that's great, whatever. She notices the broken window. Now you can argue that that's an exigent circumstance, and that, that allows you to enter the home without a warrant, basically. Um, and in order to get the warrant, you usually have to show probable cause. And it's at a certain standard. I, I honestly can't remember what it is. I'm not a criminal attorney. But if she had just knocked on the door, he would have had every right to not let her in. And that would have been fine. But that wouldn't have been enough for Hank. Question, though. It's like one of those things where it's like, I understand that, like, the broken window gives her probable cause to, like, go in without a warrant. I understand that. But, mm-hmm. like, at some point, there's the question of, like, okay, well, then why were you outside my house? Like, how does that not get you, like, yeah? you know, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, you had probable cause because the window was broken to, like, go in without warrant. Okay, fine. But, like, what were you doing outside my house? 
Yeah, and at that point, I think any jury would throw that out and just be like, she could have just been, any random person would have noticed that. It just so happened that she's law enforcement. Still, that's weird to me. But... Oh, no, it's totally weird. It's totally weird. And it loops into a bigger conversation, as it always does, about cops and, you know, their involvement. So yeah. the broken window is one thing. She's got her exigent circumstance there. So, okay, now she's got probable cause to enter. She does look in the trash for a little bit more evidence. Now, this is a, there's a specific case that you study in law school about the trash um, and whether it gives you probable cause. Because you don't have the right, you don't have an expectation of privacy to your trash. You've basically discarded it. You've put it out for the, the dumpster people to get. Uh-huh. And like, you don't have a reasonable expectation of privacy because you've discarded it. It's not yours anymore. So anything that's found in a trash can can be used as evidence and can be used as probable cause. So she opens the trash can and finds the blood. That's completely fine because you can go through somebody's trash without a warrant. That's fine. That's wild. So. There were so many moments here where Hank was going to do so many things wrong procedurally, where he got so lucky with an outside factor. But even if those hadn't happened, he was he he basically spends the majority of this episode on the verge of destroying this entire case. Yeah. Just keep that in your head. Keep that in your mind. Okay, so... Once they, once she finds the blood, she's like, Hank, like, we gotta, like, we gotta go inside. We gotta do this. If her hunch had been wrong, the whole case would have fallen apart. I know I just said that, but here's why. If their hunch had been wrong, you could have easily made the argument that Hank committed a felony. And by felony, I mean, he would have committed jury tampering. Yep. Okay. That was your, like, literally your first instinct when, like, this episode we were watching the first time. You were like, that's jury tampering. I can't blah, blah, blah. You were just like, yeah. I was, like, I was literally the Jim Carrey gif, like, furiously typing at the keyboard. Yeah. Um, and I, I went so far as to back myself up. I looked up the statute and, um, yeah. Yeah. So the abridged version of the statute, should I read it or am I going to get hate? Like, no, just read it. All okay, right. so the abridged lawyer Gina of- is a whole mood, so I do do it. Okay, so so here's this is the Illinois statute. The link is in the outline, you guys. I did my research. Okay, so the abridged version of this says a person who, with intent to harass or annoy one who is served or is serving as a witness, communicates directly or indirectly with a juror in such a manner as to produce mental anguish or emotional distress, commits a class two felony. And I think the thing is, I think it's important to say that Voight did not, it was not jury tampering. It was jury tampering on Morales' side. Yes. But it it wasn't on Voight's side. But it's, like you said, it's important to also note that it could have very easily been if had they been wrong. Had they been wrong. It's a very, very fine line. Like, right now, Morales is really the only one who jury tampered. It wasn't Voight and Haley, but, like, had they been wrong, it could have, obviously, been, it, it could have been jury tampering. Now, would any judge or jury have actually convicted Hank of jury tampering? Probably not. Uh, yeah. Probably not. But you could make the argument that if they were if they were completely wrong and nothing was a matter, you could absolutely make the argument that he committed jury tampering. Yeah. So, and that Hank spends the entire episode teetering this line between like, is it right or Mm -hmm. is it not right? He spends the whole episode on this line. So thankfully their hunch was not wrong. So like they knock on this guy's door. They're like, something's up. Thankfully they were correct. Something is up. 
this juror's wife was abducted and will be killed if he does not vote not guilty in the case. Mm-hmm. So if you're wondering, if you're like, okay, well, he's just one juror, why would this fuck that up? Well, in a criminal murder case in certain jurisdictions and most jurisdictions, really, you've got to be unanimous in the jury. Like all 13 have to say guilty or not guilty in order for it to fly. And yep. so just by this one juror being messed with, it's putting a, it's, it's messing up the whole case. Yep. So then we get the good old debate of, do we call it in or do we not call it in? It smells like he's bleach. I'll call forensics, get the crime lab down. No. Here. No? We're not calling this in. Any second we put this on the books, they will shut the trial down. They need to shut the trial down. And she will be dead. Yes, we can. We'll get Egan to stall deliberations until we find her. Morales is not killing another innocent person to keep himself out of jail. It ain't happening twice. I both love and hate this. No, I mostly hate it, but I see both sides of it. Yeah. I hate that Haley keeps getting put in this position. Yeah. But Hank's got a point. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've got to weigh it out at this point. Now, now a woman's life is at stake. It's not just. It's not just a matter of putting away a scumbag criminal. A woman's life is at stake. Yeah. It's one of those things, though, where it's like, and you can't obviously think like this, but it's like one of those things where it's like, if it, if it's a slightly even different circumstance, like if the juror tells him a different circumstance then yeah, the conversation's probably different. But in this one moment, this is, you know, Hank is right. His point is true. Yeah, I I think I I think I agree with I agree with his reasoning here that at this point now, like finding Juliet and saving her is more important than putting Morales away. I do agree with that. Right. I think the thing that irks me about him so often is that he views the law as this malleable like adaptable thing that he can manipulate to fit the circumstances that is not how lawyers are made yeah we are made to believe that the law is the law it is there it is finite it is not adaptable or malleable it it applies no matter what it's finite that's not the way we're raised and so i think that is what irks me so badly about him is that he manipulates the law and feels that it is there to be manipulated to serve justice the right way yeah, because what I'm my point is that like if this is a slightly different circumstance, like Void's still gonna have the same thought of like, oh no, we're not gonna call it in. But like in that situation, if the circumstances are slightly different, it may not be the right thing to do, and they may be right to call it in, or you know. Right. But Void's always gonna be like, no, we shouldn't do this, or no, you know, his ways are usually his ways, and like in this circumstance, they're the right way to go about things, but they're not always the right way to go about things. Exactly exactly so now we've got a game plan you know we basically need to we need to get in with morales's people and figure out where this is coming from who made the order all of that stuff so we find out that morales had been visited three times in one week by an edgar ochoa and it turns out that torres knows him from the last time he went undercover and his cover is still good we are so hashtag blessed in this episode like we got undercover torres undercover Torres hits different it does hit different i know i know the one con is that we we didn't get ruzik until the second half and even when he did come into the second half i'm pretty sure he didn't say a word 
Well, my like I really thought for a second they're like, oh yeah, he's setting up the undercover apartment. I was like, Jesus Christ! I was like, we're not having him go away again, right? And I was like, oh yeah, we're dating two Berserk episodes next week. Never mind. Yeah, I was like, that actually makes sense, but still. So Ochoa had visited Morales three times the week before the trial. Torres had met him when he was at Morales' bar. Great, awesome. So Voight's like, oh, we'll just put you back under. Oh yeah, let's do it. Um, and then, of course, we have another Haley Boyd moment where Haley's like, well, should we loop in Chapman? Like, hello. And he just says, he's like, if we tell her she's obligated to go to the judge, it's better for her we keep her in the dark. This was a huge risk on Hank's part. Yeah. Huge. If even one detail had fallen out of place, he would have fucked with her career. Mm-hmm. That's a ginormous risk. He played with fire in this episode and he's lucky that it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so while Torres is undercover, you know, he's flirting with the bartender, which is a whole mood. I love it. I'm here for it. Undercover uh, Torres, man. It's a mood. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. So um, Torres does this like totally not subtle sneak into the back room. It's not subtle at all. No. Um, nor is the bug he places. The bug he places on that It's computer, like in plain sight. It's like in plain sight. It's literally like, it's like, this is my Nintendo Switch that I'm holding right now, but literally he like takes it out. It's totally in plain sight and puts it on the back of the computer. Totally conspicuous and noticeable. Okay. Yeah. Not subtle one bit. So uh, yeah, he like, he places the bug, which I don't know how they never end up noticing it. But uh, Ochoa comes in and Ochoa is like, who the fuck are you? And he's like, oh, I'm Dante. We met before. Like and Ochoa's just like, no, but whatever, get out of here. <laughs> Thankfully, Torres is saved because this man a man comes in who might be one of the kidnappers and he comes in asking Ochoa for help. So Torres takes this back to Hank, and they basically because like Kev's outside in a car, Hank's outside in a car, and it, it's just them, right? Is Haley with them too? I don't I mm, I don't remember. Yeah, so so Kev's outside, as is Hank, and they the guy who comes in asking for help, he leaves. So they follow him. And he goes into this house, whatever. They they follow him, they see him go in. And so Hank's like, we've just got to go. Like, just follow him. And Kev just says, um, okay, but Sarge, it's not admissible if it's not on paper. That is correct. That is yep. correct. The same way that I'm always like, talk arson to me, Kev, or Kelly. Talk criminal procedure to me, Kevin. Like, I like it. Um, he's completely right. It's not admissible if it's not on paper. Meaning, yeah. if they go in without a warrant and they find shit, you can't use it in trial. It's called fruit of the poisonous tree. Yep. I told you you were getting a lesson tonight. <laughs> Lawyer Gina. Don't come for me. I'm just telling you what I know. No, I love Lawyer Gina. Fruit of the poisonous tree. If you don't, if you if you don't have your ducks in a row, if you don't play the game by the rules, you suffer the consequences. Yep. Basically. Uh, yeah. So, and Hank just like doesn't give a fuck. Hank's just like, okay, well, we're still going in anyway. And once again, he is saved by the bell. And by the bell, I mean he is saved by the exigent circumstance. The minute he walks up and hears that yell and the gunshot, he has the right to enter without a warrant. That's crazy. But what was his plan if that never happened? That's what I'm saying. It's like the same thing as earlier. It's like, okay, yeah, it worked out fine because your hunch was right. But like, 
what if your hunch wasn't right? Exactly. What was your plan to make whatever you found in there admissible if that hadn't happened? Mm-hmm. And, like, shout out to whoever wrote this episode for, like, piecing this together. Because, I mean, the law is a tricky thing. And criminal procedure is a tricky thing, too. But, Who I mean, whoever wrote this episode? Let the, me look. Uh, Nick something, I think, I saw in the credits. I'm I think looking. He's, um, is he that new writer? Yeah, he might be. The one that's on Instagram? Oh, he's got to be new if he's on Insta. <laughs> Remember I told you that there was one on Insta? Matthew Brown. I don't know if that's the one that... Uh, now I'm like, is that the one that was on Instagram? Let me dig. Hmm. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, anyway. kudos to the writer for, for writing this in an accurate way. That like, yeah, he... Like, the yell and the gunshot makes an exigent, exigent circumstances, which means he can go inside without the warrant. Like, that is accurate. That is correct. Shout out for that detail and pulling that together in such a finite way. But again, what was Hank's plan? Like, if he went in there and found some sort of evidence, he was probably going to do something shady to make it admissible. He was probably going to set up some sort of circumstance where, like, whoever it was got trapped in something where they found the evidence in a legal way. Mm-hmm. It's dicey. And it begs the question, I put this out there on Twitter. Okay. Does, do you think Hank thinks he's above the law? And there's two prongs to this, right? Does he think he's above the law? Or does he know he's above it, given past circumstances and the way things have worked out? I'm sorry, say that again. Do you think Hank thinks he's above the law? And if I you do, like, does he, does he, th- does he just think it or does he know it given all the shit he's gotten away with in the past? I think so, I, I was going to, what I was just say, I, I don't know if it's really him thinking he's above the law. I think he knows he's above the law given his career because no one's done anything to put him in his place. Mm-hmm. like i don't think if you tell Voight when he's you know young and in the 80s like i don't think Voight at that point is anything like the Voight we know now mm-hmm. um but like i think given everything he's gone through i think it has more to do with his past than it does him thinking that he's just above the law just yeah. for the sake of being above the law because he's god and you know all that stuff and, and I mean, if you think back to season five, like he was ready to go to jail for, he was ready to basically get Al out of jail and like come clean and say, okay, no, here's what happened. So. But he didn't he, have to. But he didn't have to. But he was willing. So, I mean, he's, he's willing to suffer consequences. I don't know. But, Personally, I just don't think, I don't think Voight from the very beginning is like, oh, I'm Voight. I'm, you know, above the law, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think it's more of a result of the changes. And I can think you even could even say, like, not even just with his, in his career. I think all the stuff he's been through personally, you know, losing Justin, you know, losing Camila. I mean, like, all the things that he's been through, mm-hmm. I think, has a role in it for sure. And I don't think you can say that it doesn't. Fair. That's fair. It's an interesting topic. Yeah. So the the man they followed in, he shot um, and Upwater, which like we got Upwater in this episode. Yay! For two um, seconds. For two seconds. But hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. Um, I love pairings that we don't usually get. I will always yeah. take them. Um, they catch another man fleeing. And so 
by catch, I mean, Kevin absolutely bodies this guy. Do you think that's a stunt LaRoyce actually does? That's a great question. LaRoyce like, I know they would. do. I know I do. The, I know they do a lot of their stunts. Not all of them, but they do a lot of them. Well, like a lot of the running and stuff like is actually them. I guess with because he like you said, he actually he bodies him. I was just curious. Like, do you think that was LaRoyce or was that a stunt double? I don't know. Um, I could see it being a double just because of the way he uh, once again absolutely bodies this guy. Yeah. I feel like LaRoyce is so nice that, like, he wouldn't go that hard. Yeah. But I could be wrong. It was just like you said. I I know a lot of times, like, with the running and stuff, they do a lot of that themselves. But I was just curious on the actual, like, like you said, because he just bodies them. I, you know, so. I feel like Kevin this weekend, he or in this episode, he was either trying out for the NFL or, like, the WWE. I don't know. Because, like, he was just throwing people around. Like, it was nothing this week. Yeah. Wait, is Kevin the Hulk? In our never-ending quest to place everyone as an Avenger, um, I get. I, no, no, I haven't really thought about it. I think he is. Yeah, I could see it. Cause like Bruce is like super nice and gentle, and Kevin is too. You could also argue that Kevin technically does a lot of the, like, technical... Him and Ruzik do a lot of the technical stuff, you know, with, like, the mics and, you know, undercover cameras or whatever. And Bruce is a scientist, so... Okay. We're just going to make that happen. That's going to happen. We did it. <laughs> Love it. Uh, Yeah. So, Kevin absolutely bodies this guy. So, yeah. So, then we go to commercial, and then we come back. And choices get made. Yeah, this was gruesome. I don't know if this bugged you as much as it bugged me, but the the house this guy went into, basically, he went to this guy's house because the guy was, he did like a year of med school and he had been shot. And so he went to like, hopefully get patched up. But the guy who had gone to med school for a year, he's like super high and like coked out of his brains. Mm-hmm. So we come back from commercial And he is chained to a stairwell. He's handcuffed to a stairwell. One hand. It is season 10. Okay? Season 10. 10. This country has been through so many watershed moments regarding police brutality in the past decade. Why are we coming back from commercial to the image of this guy handcuffed to a stairwell? Yeah. As soon as I saw the moment, I was just like, that is no, 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 no. Why? Why? I don't care that Voight technically didn't touch him. Well, it's like you could have portrayed that moment so differently and like still gotten a point across that like he's the bad guy. You're trying to question him. Yada, yada, yada. Like you could have done that. I feel like a lot differently. You're telling me you couldn't find a chair and just handcuff him there? Yeah. And I realized that the goal of this whole thing was to keep it off the books. But even if you keep it off the books, why is that necessary? Why is it necessary to change, like, to handcuff him to a stairwell by one arm? Yeah. Just handcuff him and, like, sit him down in a chair. It makes no sense. And it also shows us that if, when, when people are not looking, Voight will revert back to his old, his old ways. Mm-hmm. Does that Which surprise also- you? Um... It's 
it's disappointing. It's disheartening. How's that for a word? Because you would think that seeing the watershed moments that we've seen as a country and even the fictional moments, even that episode with Kevin and Adam, when they had to transport the cop who shot the, the unarmed blackhead, mm-hmm. you would, you would really hope that those would open everybody's eyes. Yeah. And moments like this coming back from commercial and seeing a guy handcuffed to a stairwell, all that shows you is that Hank did not pay any attention. Yeah. And that when people aren't looking, he reverts to those methods because they work and ha- he has that and like they work without any disregard for the people they're doing he's doing this to. yeah i guess i just and i'm not saying that this is okay but like that's just ben voight like if we had really seen voight change we would have seen it by now fair like i don't think and i'm not, again i'm not saying this is right because i don't think it's right but like I don't think 10 season in, Voight's going to change his methods all of a sudden. Even though he has, like, more eyes on him, I just... And again, I don't think that's right, but that's just Voight. Like, I don't think... I I never expected him to change. As much as I wanted to, but I never expected it. I find it a little disheartening that it just... Like, none none of anything that's happened has opened his eyes. Oh, it's super disheartening. Because even in some way, we've seen it affect everyone else. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, Kevin. Um, Torres, not as much just because we just started meeting Torres. But, like, we saw it when Jay was on there. We've seen it with Ruzik a lot. Haley, too, on the other side, kind of the negative side. But, like, too, we've seen Haley. Like, we've seen it affect everyone else. But Voight has, like, not cared. No, no. And then we get like, so he, you know, he talks to the guy, whatever. And this guy's not even a suspect in the kidnapping. They just want information for him. And Voight still sets him up like that. Yeah. Jeez. So Voight comes out of the building and we get that, that image once again of, you know, it's in the past, it was Al, it was briefly Adam. And now it's Haley where they're standing outside waiting for him, both hands inside the vest. Just knowing Hank is doing what Hank does and they're just rolling mm-hmm. with it. Rolling with it. I don't like it. I don't like it. Just straight up. Um, yeah, and so Haley's like, is he not talking? And Hank says, so he, he Hank just goes, he's coked up and useless. So they just leave him. Like, then why did you handcuff? I mean, if you thought he was useless and went and didn't do anything, then why did you handcuff him to the stairs? Right. You could have had a conversation with him. You still wouldn't have gotten anything out of him because that's a different story, but like, you know. Yeah. Yep. It's all weird. All weird. Mm -hmm. So then Chapman comes up to the bullpen. Late night. Maribel Lopez. My guy in narcotics. I wanted to stay alert on anything Morales. Lopez was hooked in with him. What happened? Drug that gone bad. But it's not related to Morales' case? No, just, just another Thursday night in Chicago. <laughs> hey, Hank. Yeah? Did you notice anything in court with the jury? I shouldn't be asking you this, but... What do you mean? Anything like what? Anything off? I usually feel connected to them. I can usually feel 
when I have them in my pocket, when I don't. But this time, I just felt anxiety. Seemed dialed in to me. Yeah. It's just nerves, I guess. Well, jury deliberations start in a couple hours. I should go pace around the courthouse hallways. Thanks, Hank. I appreciate it. For a hot second, I thought Chapman was involved in this. Still? Yeah. I thought last episode that, like, or the last Void episode, not the last episode, but the last Void episode, I thought that there was definitely a chance that she could have been involved. But after the way that ended, and it was just her having the affair, I was like, okay, I don't think she's really... I thought that was, like, the extent of her involvement. I mm-hmm. never thought that she was, like, involved on the other side. Uh, I mean, it was just for a second, but... Yeah. Yeah, she knows what's up. Yeah. But... Hank just is like, you know, you've got to trust me. You've got to trust me, which like, okay. I mean, technically nobody said anything that would trigger an action on either one of their sides, but also like, this is dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous. Yeah. Um, Brian, I'd take it from here. Cause I'm pretty sure everybody's sick of hearing me talk. Okay. So the bug works. Ochoa talks. So they go grab him and where they put him in the cage. Which we literally not seen used, well, very rarely. I feel like we've seen it maybe once this season. Mm-hmm. But, like, of course, of all the episodes, it's like they put someone in the cage in this episode. Yep. So, yeah. Also, Kevin just, like, casually throwing people around this week, like, casual. This is basically the PD version of that scene from the Avengers movie where Hulk has Loki and just like smashes him back yeah. and forth. Yeah. <laughs> that is Kevin. Yeah. So, but then we get Hank doing Hank things and just outright lying. You know, your friend Lopez, he gave you up right before he died. He said you planned the abduction. That is a deathbed confession. Let me tell you something. Juries eat that stuff up. And that confession, it hooks you to murder and jury tampering. You know why that's special? Makes it federal. Okay, let, let's let's go back to that deathbed confession, shall we? Where are you holding her? Where is Julia Egan? You're okay. Keep fighting. Come on, where's Julia? Just tell me where she is. Where's, come on, hold on, you're okay. Where is she? Did you hear him say Ochoa? Because I definitely didn't. I don't think so. Nothing no, there. Nothing of that even resembled words. Yeah. 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 I do love Ochoa, though, and how he's just like, if you had me, this, this, and this would have happened. I like. Yeah, he's that, not and, like a dumb criminal like oh, we. No. Yeah. I was like, oh, Hank, you just got outsmarted, honey. Yeah. So. Then we move to the bullpen, and we get, like, we really, there's, like, one note about this bullpen scene. We get Torres and Plaid. Torres and Plaid! And I know this isn't the first time, like, he's worn something else that, like, wasn't just his white t-shirt, but, like, I think, I'm pretty sure this is the first time of him and Plaid. So, like, one of us. One of one us. of us. This is yeah. a big moment. Yeah. It's like, you're really in intelligence when you wear Plaid. Yep. And just the fact that he's not wearing his white t-shirt is like, yeah. Yep. 
Okay, but the other thing about this is Chapman knows. And we're going to play the audio. Tell me what's going on right now. I am knee deep in the middle of a DTO investigation. You're going to lie to me? I think I made it real clear that I've got eyes on the street feeding me anything related to Morales. They told me Ochoa vanished, disappeared the day after his henchman Lopez gets killed. What's going on? I'm in the middle of an ongoing DTO investigation. You're not. My jury is deadlocked, Hank. This is an open and shut case, and these 12 jurors somehow can't come to a consensus. If there is jury tampering going on, it's your sworn duty to alert the ASA's office to tell me. I can't. What? Do you trust me? No. No, that's not how this works. If you want trust, earn it with the truth. What is Morales doing? Answer me, Hank. Just, just answer me. Sarge, we got something, something we can move on. Hank. I like you said earlier, it's like, he is like, in his weird Hank way, he is mm -hmm. protecting Chapman by not telling her. Because if she does that, if he does that, then she has to tell the judge. And like, that obviously fucks up the case. But it's also like, eh, like, you're also lying to her. So like, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's like a damned it, if yeah. you do, damned if you don't situation. It really is. It really is. It's it just it, so much could have gone wrong here. And Hank is lucky that it all worked out the way it did. Like, I think a lot of luck went into this case working out the way it did and so uh yeah he is protecting her by not telling her but it, he's also he i mean you could argue that he's disrespecting her especially professionally but yeah. then you could argue that he also like you could argue both ways that you know he's showing her a professional courtesy by not telling her so that she can keep going with the case and put morales away but you could also argue that he's not her professional courtesy by like putting her whole career at risk if this goes wrong yeah. So they find a Joe's stash house, and not only has does he have drugs there, he's got a brother dying of cancer, which is I did not see that coming mm -mm. at all. And they go so far as to like they obviously know the brother is innocent. Like they're not that like that's very obvious, but like they go so far as to like bring the brother down to the station to like use him as a way to get Ochoa to talk which like that's a little like I get it but like that's also a lot you went a little too hard there that's a little much but it works so Ochoa talks and Hank goes in with like a crowbar and like they have this like full-on action movie moment and like he finds Julia like barely hanging on she's alive but like it, it, it's dicey yeah 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 yeah. yeah. We also hear Hank's calm voice, which like it's not my favorite. It's it's kind of like the way he operates as a cop. Like it's not my favorite, but it works. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it would work. It would it would work for me. If I'm in that situation and I'm like in the limbo, I, that would work. Yeah. Um, and then you get, of course, so it immediately pretty much cuts back to the scene with the juror. And 
Hank just tells him, you know, he tells him what he said, you know, he finds Julia and, you know, that, it's, you know, she's touch and go, but like, she's still alive. Um, but he does like stayed to vote, which I thought was, I mean, I, I make sense, but like, it was also not would have been my first thought either. Uh, the way he stares him down is so satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like then once the guilty verdict's read. Yeah. And Jesse did an interview where uh, he like kind of broke down certain decisions that were made. And in the in the original script, the intent was for the verdict to be read and like for us to hear all of it. And when Jesse was working with the editor, they both decided that it might be more powerful just to put music over it. And I think that was definitely the right choice. Yeah, because we know just from the stare down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and Chapman's look of relief. Yeah. 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 But also going back to criminal procedure and things that absolutely would not happen. That scene with Hank and the juror in the bathroom, that would never happen. That would never yeah. happen. No. Uh, jur- jurors are typically sequestered and sequestered is just a fancy word for kept away from like, the general public. Theoretically, he could have had Haley deliver the news. Yeah. And then it wouldn't have been any issue. True. To the case. Because like Haley was working the case, his wife's case. And obviously he knew Haley, you know, because that was the first initial conversation. But like, so Haley technically could have delivered the news to him and been fine. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. But basically, so it brings you to the last scene of Voight and Chapman having this talk in the hallway. And just that whole ending, never ending debate of like whether Voight's means justify the ends. And we have this conversation. He should be brought. Yeah, he should be. I thought I would, that I would feel relief. Hell, I thought you and I would be out grabbing a drink celebrating right now. But instead, I'm here wondering how I'm complicit with you. Wondering how an innocent woman almost died. Yeah. I did what I had to do. How the hell do you know that? Because Julia is alive. And you just put Morales away for life. Should I be thanking you then? For lying to me? For doing God knows what to get the right result? Right. That's it? Yeah. That's it. Remember when you said you don't think about it? about the kind of man you are now you should is this the end of chapman to you like of us seeing her i mean that's a good question i given the way this conversation goes i don't think so yeah i don't i don't know like i i'm the first time i watched it i was like oh she's gone i was like we'll never see her again and then like i watched it again a second time and i was like you know i don't know if i believe that anymore yeah I could definitely see her coming back. I could see it too. I, I'm I'm starting to open up to her a little bit more. I I love this scene for multiple reasons. I mean, I, I love this scene because it basically says what all of us were thinking the entire episode, right? Of like, okay, yeah, you got the right result, but the ways you went about it are yeah. not completely orthodox, right? Okay. Like you left a trail of damage. Let's be let's be real. Yeah. Uh, and and Nina asking the question 
it basically just completely encapsulates everything that we're all thinking and so mm-hmm. and and the reasoning that she has where she's just like you know I'm caught between these two things because like I know you got the job done but also I come from this school of thought I mean Nina's a fictional character but like if she were a real person she and I would share a brain basically yeah. and so she voiced everything that I was thinking as a member of the legal profession mm-hmm so I think it was I that was a really good conversation to have because it basically summed up the episode with exactly what we were all thinking of just like, well, did, did do his means justify his ends? I mean, he got the right result, but at what cost? You know? Yeah. Uh, I think in this case, I think he did the right thing by saying, you know, okay, well, now we've got like Julia's life is at risk and that's more important than putting Morales away. But I think he got lucky in multiple ways. I think luck definitely played into it. Agree. Yeah. yeah but you've also got to admire like hank knows that he can't save everybody but that's never gonna stop him from trying and that's actually i find that pretty admirable yeah i can see that because like julia might not be anything to him or to intelligence or the rest of that jury but to egan to that one jury she's his everything yeah that's a fair point yeah it's a fair point um so listener thoughts heather b says she's a long thought so she says so a man is on trial for murdering a key witness and he decides to threaten a juror and no one was watching out for that or giving the jurors any kind of protection seems like an oversight Truth be told, I was not loving that this was a continuation of the last Void episode, mainly because I couldn't follow it because it didn't hold my attention. I'm glad they did a review via the trial and evidence, though, because I would have been lost otherwise. She says, I can definitely see Jesse in the direction of the first Voight and Haley scene. It's not overt, but you can tell how jerked around Haley feels by Voight and refusing to call the case in. After Sean and Roy, she has to resent when he makes a choice like that and shows in that moment. Also, notice her standing outside the house when Voight was questioning the guy who shot the kidnapper because she already had learned her lesson of trying to stop Voight from being who he is the last time he had someone chained up during a kidnapping. She wasn't stepping foot anywhere near that situation, and for good reason. It's kind of the it's the kind of continuity we love to see, and it's something Jesse is definitely understands to be store points for Haley's character now. Props to him for including it because it he definitely didn't have to with how much was going on in the episode yeah um she says chapman seems like a just like another younger woman that void is supposed to form an attachment to who makes him have a little introspection kind of like anna was last season i like chapman's line if you want to trust it if you want trust earn it with the truth i feel like i felt like trust has been at the center of void storyline since the end of season eight and this felt like they are finally confronting the problem he demands trust without earning it and even stayed started the series by saying tell me the truth so that i can lie for you but he rarely trusts anyone else with the truth jerry tried to break that but in the end trusting void with the truth led to jay telling more lies which he couldn't handle and left yeah in a way jesse directing this episode was perfect because it confronts the problems of trust the truth and the problem jay had with void from the beginning I'm sure Jesse had to think about these things a lot to create Jay's character, and it shows in the moments we see Void alone, particularly after Chapman challenges him to think about the man he's become. 
We don't have many episodes left. Probably only one Haley episode since so many upcoming ones seem to be Farzik related. But I hope we get Voight actually taking responsibility for the hell he's put Haley through in the last two seasons and owning up to the problems he's caused for her. I think it would be great to see her finally get closure from the Roy situation at the same time we are seeing Kim take steps to peel from it as well. I don't think we'll see that, but it would be nice. And then she said, finally, Jesse did an awesome job directing this episode. I was pretty bummed when we found out it was going to be a void focus, but I can see now why he was the perfect person to lead on it. I hope we can see him again in one Chicago, either behind the camera or maybe even back on screen, since he said he's not closing the door on that completely yet. I agree. I think the more I think about it, I'm like, yeah, would I love to see Jesse direct like a Berzik episode or like a Kevin episode or like a towards Haley episode, whatever. Yeah. But I do think Jesse was the, like, Jesse doing a Voight episode made a lot of sense. Yeah. Like, once you see it, I'm like, oh, I do get it. Like, I get mm-hmm. it. Um, And I wouldn't have thought that because I definitely had the same thought too that, like, in the beginning, you're like, ew, Voight, mm, gross. But, like, it, it, it worked. Yeah. Yeah. Jesse was able to present it in such a way that, you know, you you were able to see the whole picture. Yeah. He did a great job. Yeah. Definitely a better Void episode than I thought it was going to be, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, any other notes on PD? Nope, that's it. Sweet. So, as we said, this is a longer episode because we do have our interview with Devin Kawaoka. Um, this is also on YouTube for you to watch. Um, pretty sure that it is. Double check that. But yeah, um, so if you want to go ahead and go on YouTube and watch the video, go right ahead. Um, otherwise, here is our chat with Chicago Meds Devin Kawaoka. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. We've been talking about it for months now. We're like, how do we reach out to Devin? And then your PR reached out to us and we were like, perfect. <laughs> so good stuff. Listen, I'm excited. Uh, oh, yeah. and I love your hair. Is your hair always that color? Um, I, I put pink on the end of it at the end of last year. Thank you. It looks really good. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So uh, we love to have everybody and anybody who's new on the Chicago shows, we love to have them on, get to know them a little bit and just kind of say like, hey, we're friends now. We just kind of want to get to know you and show you our listeners. And so tell us, how did you get involved in acting originally? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, I I saw the movie Newsies when I was a kid and I... I must have gone to the theater because I think I went to the theater like multiple times to see that movie. And I just was like, mom, I want to do that. And my mom is, uh, my parents, both of them were scientists. They both worked at Eastman Kodak um, in the research and development uh, department. Uh, My dad was actually on the team that uh, developed the chemicals for the color yellow in Kodak film. Um, But uh, so they were like, well, if you are going to be an actor, you must take class. So they signed me up for uh, an acting class with this woman named Justine Garcis, who was like a real, like, you know, child actor whisperer in Rochester, New York, and um, would have uh, had sort of classes where we would do like monologues and move around, like doing experimental theater. And then during the summer, she would put on a big like summer camp show where she would put on like, let's say Peter Pan or something like that. And she had four different sessions of like 50 kids each putting on the same play. And it was crazy, but also really fun. And um, I really found a community there, so I really loved it, and my love for acting just kept growing and growing as 
I went through high school and I just, I couldn't get enough of um, training. I really liked being in acting class as much as I possibly could. And so uh, I, I started off going to the professional theater at the Jiva Theater Conservatory. And then I actually ended up um, getting cast in A Christmas Carol there. And that was a big deal. <laughs> and I loved it. I loved being in A Christmas Carol and I was doing that for like five years, I think, eighth grade through senior year. And um, it just was, I met so many professional actors who were uh, out there regionally doing stories and I just fell in love and couldn't stop. Nice, that's awesome. So I was doing some last minute reading earlier. I see you went to NYU. We had Connor Perkins on a couple of weeks ago and isn't that where he went also? He did. He did. He's uh, he was years behind me. Okay. So we we both went to the undergrad program, um, and then I also went to the graduate acting program. So I'd, I'm NYU squared. I am uh, loud and proud NYU. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was going to ask if you guys knew each other in school. If not, that was going to be something. I was really like, Connor. Why didn't you tell us that? I know. No. No. We didn't know each other at all. And. You know, it's funny because even though we didn't know each other, I still felt there was like a real familiarity. And that program is pretty big. And the undergrad program is pretty huge. So it but I still every time I meet someone from NYU undergrad, I feel a real kinship. So um, it was a really easy to fall into a relationship with Connor also because he's like really nice and fun. We had a lot of fun with him. We did. Yeah. He's great. He's great. So um, I'm curious, I mean, before you joined the shows, how familiar were you with One Chicago and the shared universe and that whole concept? I I, I was so um, taken by this whole world that I had no idea about and all these doctors that everyone was in love with. And I, I just, it was just this little corner, this multiverse that I hadn't ever explored. And so it's been so fascinating to like jump in and get to know all of you. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So what was your audition process like for Med? Yeah, uh, so I made a tape and I remember, I think the the character's name when I auditioned for it was Kai Bowringer. I think that was his original last name. That's a choice. <laughs> I know, Bowringer. I was like, cool, Bowringer. And um, I remember, uh, I, I, I just like made a self tape in my house with my friend. And I remember being like, no, no, more, more medical. Like I was like doing all this surgery and lifting of bodies. It was that first scene when you meet Kai and he counts over Crockett. And uh, it, 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 I remember sort of feeling like, oh, I'm in charge for some reason. Like I'm a mate, like, and I really punching above my weight. And um, I guess that's what they responded to because then it was one of those weird ones where like, just, I never really, I never made another tape. I never had a callback. I never had a producer session. My tape just getting kept getting passed on. And two weeks later, I had an offer and I was um, actually shooting shrinking at the same time at that time. And um, we were about to shoot the final two episodes. And um, uh, I don't know if this is going too far into it, but in recurring actor life, you don't really have um, no one's committed to you, you know, they sort of say, oh, you could shoot here, but no one really tells you dates. And so it got a little scheduling got a little complicated right at the end there where Chicago Met and Shrinking were sort of conflicting, but the two uh, shows ended up working it out and I got to do both. So actually I shot, um, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen Shrinking yet, but I shot the wedding, uh, the the uh on a tuesday and then that night i was on a red eye and then went straight to a fitting on wednesday morning for my scrubs and my jacket 
um, so that it could all be embroidered and stuff with my name. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So when we talked to Connor, we asked if he had any questions for you that we could slip in there. And he told us to ask about your go-to Chipotle order. What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, lots of chicken, lots of beans, no rice, always the fajita veggies, uh, the pico de gallo, a little medium salsa, some cheese. <laughs> but I, oh, oh, you know what? I like to put the cheese on top of the meat so that it's melty. Okay. Otherwise it's cold on top. What did rice ever do to you? <laughs> you know what? Nothing. In fact, I love rice, but I just, I just can't have too much for what I'm shooting. It makes me feel too full. I get that. I get that. He said that was all you ate when you guys first got to Chicago. So every day it's the only, it's right. It's right there, right near the hotel. And it's, um, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a healthy option right yeah. near there. Right. And really fast and convenient. I'm not judging. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. So I'm curious, how was Kai described to you initially? Because, I mean, the fan reaction has been kind of mixed, right? Yeah. I mean, you know what? I actually don't know. Uh, to be truth be told, I'm one of those people who sort of tries to stay off of the um, socials and the reddits and the and the comment section. Um, uh, he was described clearly as arrogant, someone who thought he knew better and you could tell from the sides because of the way he took over uh, the surgery and thought he knew best. And um, I, you know, I sort of loved it about him. I was, I thought it was fun that he was a little, like he was a real potster, that he like said things that made people roll their eyes. I mean, I really sort of, uh, went into that as far as I could and enjoyed it. And I didn't quite realize the way the fans wouldn't like that, like the way that I was like shading their favorite doctor. Um, and um, I sort of like heard whispers about it, you know, like things would pop up, you know, and on my Twitter or whatever. And I, just, you know, I quickly sort of like figured out how to protect myself from those things. But I did have a have to have a talk to myself early on to be like, okay, you can't let this affect you because they're writing you on purpose this way. This is, you know, the, these writers, I mean, Diane and Andy and the writers and all of the um, med rooms, or sorry, the Chicago rooms know what they're doing. And you're here, you're an important ingredient to this, to this stew. Like you need sort of that, that, uh, I don't know if it's villain energy, but it's like, you know, that sort of like energy of, um, like, uh, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? And I noticed, you know, when I when I um, knew I was coming on your show, I went back and listened to some of the episodes. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I, I thought to myself, you know, for as much as they're complaining about Kai, they certainly are talking about him a lot. And I, I was starting to, I had a nice conversation with Oliver Platt one time, um, where I was sort of talking about like, you know, well, what do we think about this? Is this something that I should continue, you know, pushing this button? And he's like, uh, he said, yeah, I think it's important. I think it's important. It's an important ingredient. I think people like the energy. And even if they act like they don't like it on social media, I think in the end, they always end up being a little bit more engaged to be a little angry at someone, you know, to have someone on the show that they want to roll their eyes at with everyone else. Um, yeah, so I was really excited. I've been really, uh, how do I say this? I've been really, um, well, one of the things that's so interesting and I, 
uh, like as you watch Chicago Med, like as I watch Chicago Med, because when I see these episodes, including the episode that dropped last night, um, when I see these episodes, I don't know what's going to happen. Like I sort of know what my story was, but when it all goes through the wash with the edit, what they see and how they see Kai is so different than the thing that I'm working with. And that's sort of the fun of shooting a show like this is that they really pick and choose how you, your character gets um, introduced into the world and how that storyline continues. And it's always so exciting to watch it every Wednesday when it airs. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's kind of sim similar with what Steven Weber's character kind of went through when he came in. Nobody liked Archer. And then we started to learn more about him and now we all love him. Yeah, my favorite, I think my, okay, so my favorite thing that you said on the podcast. Oh, no. oh boy, called... Devin came with receipts. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you called him a, a a cat in doctor's clothing, which I think is, I think maybe my favorite comment ever made about Kai is that he is a cat in doctor's clothing. I was like, he is, he totally is. He like walks around, he acts like he's not listening or watching. And then if you say something, he but he's always listening, right? So when he, he says something of interest, he's like, what? What happened? Right? Uh, yeah, so this week's episode was kind of an interesting one for Kai. He he got a reality check. Um, what was your reaction when you read that script? Yeah, well, you know, at first, you I, well, because, you know, I read it, I, I was reading it, and as soon as they mentioned the fart and the passing of gas and the flatulence, I forget how they worded it, but I, I literally paused and I started laughing so hard because whenever you see a fart in a script it's usually like for comedy reasons right like it like makes us laugh and i had to sit there i laughed really hard and then i had to i took a deep breath i was like remember this is chicago med so you have to think about this from like the patient's point of view what is the doc what is the good medicine of this and one of the things i love about chicago med and all the chicago shows actually is that they're they're shows that are supposed to make you feel at least a little bit more comfortable when you deal with a doctor, when you deal with a police officer, when you deal with a fire, fireman, or when you have a problem, an emergency, right? That there's something about, like in a crude way, that your tax dollars are going towards wonderful things, right? <laughs> and uh, I think what was so great about this is, you know, Kai's a surgeon, and I think he really embodies the surgeon attitude, right? Uh, Crockett is also, you know, has an ego on him. And I think that's why Crockett has a little bit more patience for Kai than other people's, because he sees that and understands the value of someone being a little bit, you know, understands that it's just a young confidence, and then he just needs to mold that confidence into something else. Um, but I think by humanizing this guy who thinks that he's, you know, God, basically, he's got a God punk complex as a surgeon, and the fact that he's uh, doing the most human of things, and then has to sit in the hospital and, you know, feel that way, I think that that would make anyone who has uh, a medical issue that's sort of embarrassing like that, you know, know that it's not embarrassing that it truly is human. And uh, I just think it's so wonderful that these shows, I, you know, I have a friend who's um, uh, 
mother uh, had surgery recently and she had wa been watching me on the show. And as she went in, she was talking about it in, in context as she was anxiously dealing with her own anxiety about the surgery, right? Mm -hmm. And so like you can see that the show impacted her and that she was sort of in comforted by the fact that she had spent most of the year in a hospital and now she was in one and she could feel just a slightly more at ease than she would normally, I guess. That's good. Yeah. That's but so I had to remind myself and when I when I went to set actually, um uh I you know I kept saying as I was working on my on uh, my script, you know, this is really serious. What What is Kai feeling on the other side of this? Why, what does his arrogance do for him? How does it protect him? And how does this, uh, you know, flatulence knock him down and make him feel? And uh, so I had all these really serious actor thoughts and things. And then I get to set and the director, Tim Busfield has a fart machine and he just cannot stop using it. And it's so, it was so funny. It was like really funny. And I had to work really hard not to crack most of the times when we were shooting the scene because of how much fun he was having with the fart machine. The closed captions on the episode, it just says in parentheses, it just says farts. And <laughs> You know, everybody's a 12 year old at heart. So just. Gosh, it was so incredible. It was really, I, and, and it, you could tell that it also like, it was a really fun day on set too, because you know, everyone loves to laugh at a fart. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and we, cause we all do, we all fart, you know? Jokes never get old. <laughs> things I never thought I'd say on my own podcast. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So, and, and that was another question I had, because the more I thought about this, I was just like, oh man, like that's so mean of the writers to just be like, what's the best way we can embarrass him? We're just gonna make him fart in the OR. That would really humble him. Like, uh, I how mean, does he, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 keep going. No, I was gonna say, how does he rebound from this? I mean, cause he, he titled himself at the end of the episode. He was like, I'm the fart doctor forever. How does he rebound from this? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, you know, I, I've thought about this a little bit and I obviously can't get too deep into like what my, what backstory is the one I'm working with because, you know, I think there's something really amazing about the mystery behind these characters, right? That you sort of learn little snippets along the way and get to piece it together. As I can hear you guys when listening to your podcast, as you like add up little things, as you get little nibbles along the way. Um, but I can say that I think that Kai in his past has had to operate only, um, on his own, that he's had to survive on his own and he's had to make his way. Uh, and that means maybe getting scholarship into med school, being, working extra hours, you know, having two extra jobs to pay for something else, you know, whatever it is, uh, and has had to be top of his class in order to stay relevant, you know, that in order to be, to make sure that he gets what he needs to survive. And so I think that he also has probably a little bit of social anxiety, doesn't play well with others, whatever, you know, however that adds up. And uh, because of those two things, he uses his wit and intelligence to survive. 
right? And how in, and how smart he is to survive. That's the only thing he has, mm-hmm. right? And in some ways, you know, in this episode, you get a little bit of a taste of it when he talks about like CrossFit and going to the gym is that that's another way of compensating, right? It's another way of belonging to a community is being like, I'm strong. You cannot knock me down, right? I, I can do burpees and thrusters in 30 seconds or less or whatever that thing is, right? So he's protecting himself. And so when he came into this uh, residency, I think he thought he could just keep doing that, keep do- at practicing the way he was. He probably didn't join study groups in med school. He did everything on his own and he still was the top of his class, right? And so I think what he's gonna learn in his residency that he actually can't do this alone, that he has to have a team around him. He has to work with other people and um, that he has to be willing to catch other people and also be caught by other people. Because as we can see in like the Archer Asher storyline, we can see the ways in which, you know, we're all fallible. We all have things that are our weaknesses and we need to be caught by each other in order to, you know, make it day by day. Yeah. Especially in such a demanding career. Yeah, yeah. And so I know, like, canonically, we don't really know too much about Kai based on what's on the show. I thought we were gonna get some backstory in this week. We didn't. But I realize this, like, kind of teeters on a personal question for actors. But what are some theories you've come up with in your mind regarding Kai's backstory? Only if you're comfortable sharing. If you're not, don't worry. Yeah. um, I think... One of the things that I, I, I mean, basically what I just said about the yeah. fact that he's he's uh, he's had to work really hard to what for what he has and that, uh, you know, I personally, Devin, have a lot of social anxiety. I don't know that it shows all that much, but I really deal with it. Like after this um, uh, Zoom, I'll walk off, you know, I'll sign off and I'll be beating myself up for all the likes and ums and, you know, pauses that I take and it's okay because I will too don't worry (laughs) (laughs) we're not alone we're friends I know (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so because of that like I really relate to Kai's perfectionist tendencies to wanting to always put a perfect face forward to always be presentable and put together Um, I think one of my favorite things about the like so uh, if we think about it in terms of like the hair department like when we were telling the hair story of this show for Kai like when I was um uh in hair like we were talking about like you know he's really put together his hair's really gelled and whatever when we're in the part where he's not in surgery but then once he get you know falls his hair falls a little bit you see sort of like the wet cat version of Kai <laughs> bring back the cat metaphor and Like, I just think, so back to that, I just think I really relate to that need. I remember when I was in grad school at NYU that while we were playing Red Light, Green Light, you know, theater school is going to sound so silly when saying this, but we were playing Red Light, Green Light. And one of the things they said is this time when we play Red Red Light, Green Light, be who you want to be in 10 years, right? And my positioning for whatever reason was this like tall, strong, like, you know, like, uh, like um, almost statuesque person. And I remember my teacher looking at me and being like, you really want to be perfect, don't you? And the thing you realize 
in acting training and as you go along being an actor is that actually, you know, you get into acting for the, yay, you did so good, you're so wonderful, all the standing ovations that your parents give you. And then you get into it and you realize, oh, actually, in order to be the best actor possible, I have to be vulnerable and crack my chest open and open my heart and um, uh, really reveal myself in ways that I don't necessarily want to be seen. And I think Kai is having that journey himself in order to be the best doctor that he can possibly be. He actually has to show some vulnerability. Um, maybe not too much, <laughs> you know, in Kai's point of view, but enough, do you know what I'm saying? To the people around him, to play well with others and also to his patients, right? So that they have confidence in him and don't, feel like, oh, I don't like this guy, so that they're feeling comforted um, as they, you know, go in and out of the hospital. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So the other question we were gonna ask is, you know, if you could jump over to one of the other shows, which character or actor would you love to work with that you haven't gotten the chance to? Uh, you know, I've always wanted to, well, uh, Violet McCommie is half Japanese, right? Yes. Um, I, she's, she is part Japanese. I don't know if she's like. Part Japanese? Yeah. I, you know, cause I'm also half Japanese and I'm like, I want to be, you know, it's very rare that you get to act like, because, you know, we like, I don't get a family, right? Being half Japanese because very rarely, like when they're casting a family as a whole, is a family, um, uh, multicultural, right? Mm -hmm. Or like, or siblings, right? They're like, they all, they want all one thing or all the other. So not that I'm, you know obviously at this point can't be brothers or sisters with Violet Makami. We have different last names, but I would love to have that um, connection. I think there's something interesting about that cultural connection and being from, um, you know, two different cultures and what that feels like in that experience. So did Andy and Diane do the, they probably did the same thing that the writers did for Violet, which is they, they changed her last name basically because her, yeah, I don't remember what her last name was originally, but they changed it to Makami. So from Bowringer to Tanaka Reed, I guess is what they did. That's right. That's right. Totally. I mean, I, I was and when when I got that email from my reps, I was so excited because so rarely do people. Um, well, I guess you don't always know characters last names, but I feel like people rarely sort of acknowledge that it, as you enter into a project, um, unless it's specifically written into the breakdown, they don't sort of like uh, take the time to acknowledge that for me, at least. So I thought that was really wonderful about Chicago Med and how they made that decision. Yeah, and that they went so far to hyphenate it too. They didn't just leave it at just Tanaka. I know, right? Yeah. Very cool. I think Connor told me about some tweet about uh, <laughs> the day when the fans were mad at me that I outed Maggie for um, hiding the, 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 the car, car accident surgery. And I think someone tweeted like, uh, like damn you, uh, uh, Dr. Tanaka, whatever, like they <laughs> couldn't remember the, what the second hyphen was. See, I thought that was Kai's funniest moment. Like that was when, when it happened, I was like, oh, Kai, oh, Kai, just stirring things up. Yeah, honestly, that one Kai did not have any responsibility on. Mm -hmm. Like, no, no responsibility. I mean, she was hiding it, right? I don't know if I want to wave to, get too deep in this, actually, because <laughs> people have strong opinions. She made her bed. You made We've talked about it. <laughs> That's so funny. So we've seen Kai work with most of the doctors in ED. In the ED, who have you not gotten to work with on Med yet that you would like to? 
I have not had any scenes. Oh, no, no. I had one scene with Hannah, but we haven't had a case together. Okay. Um, and I love Jessie. She's just the bee's knees. Like, so fun. Um, I also have not had, I've gotten to do scenes, group scenes with her, but I haven't had any scenes with Goodwin yet. And um, I just think Opetha is... A queen? A queen. Yeah, same. I want to be around her all the time. She makes me laugh. She, every time she comes to set, it's so warm and bright and funny. And she's just, she's such a light and an advocate for every single person on that set. She's just the best. Can't say enough. That's awesome. That's so great. So in addition to Chicago Med, you are indeed currently on Apple TV Shrinking, um, which did just recently get a season two. Congratulations about that, by the way. So excited. What is it about this show that you think is resonating with the audience so much? Well, I think it's building off the thing that I love about Ted Lasso, right? Um, Because it's coming from Bill Lawrence, Brett Goldstein, um, which is this idea it's not an idea it's um something we should all practice which is radical empathy that everyone has a uh a reason why they act the way they do right like kai for instance like he has reasons for why he is as arrogant as he is and as annoying as that may be for all the fans it's motivated by um a human experience and I think we caught, you know, we caught, we caught that in this, this recent um, uh, episode one of Ted Lasso when, you know, we saw, they asked, you know, uh, I forget, Nate, you know, Nate, Coach mm-hmm. Nate was giving his press conference that he was so mean and nasty. And then Ted is asked about that and Ted turns it on him and says, oh, he's a great guy. They're lucky to have him. And he could have told better jokes. Like, what about this joke? And what about this joke? And made fun of himself. And I just think like that radical empathy is something that our world is missing right now. We're all in our corners. We're all fighting from like behind lines. We're not actually having conversations with with each other that um, I think actually would be easier to have if we were face to face in some way. It has to do with social media. It has to do with Twitter. It has to do with Reddit. It has to do with all these ways in which we can sort of take swings without seeing what the other person's face looks like, right? Yeah. They talk about this with kids a lot, where like kids, because of social media, that they're actually, there's a lot more online bullying because they just don't see, they don't actually get the human experience of seeing someone be hurt by the words they say. And so I think shrinking builds upon that radical empathy. And then on top of that is talking about this really, um, important subject, which is grief and mourning mm-hmm. and loss. Um, my dad passed in um, 2016, and um, uh, it was it, it was a hard thing. Obviously, he died of colon cancer, and at the end there, he had trouble breathing, and it was mm-hmm. you know it was a difficult situation where he was on morphine and off morphine until finally we had to go in palliative care and then he was in a coma and all that stuff. And it was really challenging yeah. um, emotionally. Um, but the thing that is so interesting about death is that it brings everyone together in this moment of like really being in the present. Mm-hmm. And in, around death, there happens to be so much laughter and joy 
because of the sharing that you have around the funny thing my dad did or the way he got away with murder when he was a kid or right or um you know whatever those memories are and you end up actually the the last night before he died my whole family was sitting in his room and my dad was a wine collector he collected wines and we brought out one of his best bottles and we took it out and uh poured it around everyone who was there and we actually filled a sponge like a medical sponge with some wine and um uh, gave him a little tastes as we sat there and we toasted him and everyone told a story and it's amazing how so close to tears and sadness is laughter and joy and i think that this show really captures that and also on top of that the family that is not just the nuclear family right which is jimmy um jason siegel and lukita mm -hmm. but then also uh his co-workers and his best friend and then their loved ones and then their loved ones that we're all actually beyond the nuclear family we're all a family and that we're all there to lift each other and support each other when we need it and um i'm getting teary-eyed just thinking about it because i just i think of being a part of a. we all long to be a part of a community yeah and i think when people watch this show, they feel, and they are, a part of the shrinking family, the shrinking community. And um, Bill Lawrence and Brett Goldstein and uh, Jason, who all wrote, who created this whole thing together, they did such a good job building that family and then also making it so that they invited everyone else who watches it in. Yeah, yeah, that's gotta be one of my favorite things about the show is that they've all got their own stuff going on, but they all lean on each other. Yeah. This week you saw what Sean and uh, Liz and Abby or not Abby. Um, no, Gabby. That's her name. They all went to the art show together when they didn't even know each other in episode one. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, and chills, right? Because you're like, of course they're friends. We love them and look and there's and they all have different dynamics. And I love that moment. I, I was I think it was the last episode, that moment where someone looked at um, Gabby and Liz, and they were like, I don't like the two of you are friends. And Liz was like, well, that's never gonna, gonna end because that makes us stronger. Yes. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like all the little dynamics, it's so sweet and so relatable. Yeah, yeah, it's really well done. So Charlie, your character, he's very laid back, very chill, um, as opposed to his fiance, now husband, since the finale has aired, um, Brian, played by Michael Yuri. What is it about these two that works so well, do you think? <laughs> well, you know, I think just on paper, they're, they're, you know, opposites attract in some way. Uh, I think Brian is a very anxious, obviously, type A, OCD, right? Very, like, um, uh, nervous. And Charlie is super go with the flow, whatever you say, babe, love you so much. And also, like, really um, enjoys all those peccadillos. I think that's what... Uh, Robin Williams calls it in Goodwill Hunting, right? The peccadillos that a husband and wife parent, you fall in love with the fact that they fart in their sleep or whatever. <laughs> yeah. To bring up farting again on this podcast. <laughs> um, no, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, I think uh, Charlie really accepts and loves Brian for everything that he is. And also everything that he maybe wishes he wasn't, mm -hmm. that he just enjoys him 
at any at any moment, at, at, you know, when he's down, when he's up, when he's angry, when he's sad. Um, I remember when I got the audition for Shrinking, I, uh, I, I just knew exactly what their life was like. And I knew, I knew that they were destined to be married. You know, I just yeah. knew, I could tell by the, I, you know, it was four pages, but I could just tell from the writing that these two were meant for each other and that, um, they'll be together for a long time and that they have the tools, you know, despite whatever uh, ways that they're opposite, they have the tools to come together and really act as a team in the world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although I am curious how Charlie did not want to kill Jimmy for the breakdown at the piano. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Charlie knew what was going on. Oh, that's true. That's right? true. Charlie thought that he was an award for like best therapist of the year. Yeah. I think there actually was a line that was cut where Charlie leaned over to the person next to him and was like, and he was nominated for best therapist of the year. <laughs> um, so yeah, he didn't know that. So he didn't know it was a proposal until, until Brian was outside. Yeah. And Jimmy puked all over the piano. That was great. <laughs> yeah, <which laughs> Again, was, so relatable. So many bodily functions in this chat today. <laughs> uh, that episode I thought was so magical. Oh. The, the way that all the loaded guns of, Harrison walking in high and Jimmy being really drunk and Lukita going after uh, Luke and all that. So it just was so fun. Yeah, yeah. So you've gotten to work with some legends in these recent two projects. Okay, so on Med, you work with Epatha, Stephen Weber, Oliver Platt. On Shrinking, you're in the presence of Harrison Ford on the regular. Who are you more starstruck by, Oliver or Harrison? I'm dying to know. Um, uh, you know, they were, they're both so approachable. I would say I was, I, I was really struck when we, my first scene with Harrison was the proposal scene and um, we rehearsed it and he was, he was very, uh, you know, it was a fun rehearsal. He was laughing. There were lots of jokes. And I think maybe we did one take or something. I can't remember, but then he, he made a point to come up to me and say, me and Michael and say, this is really beautiful what's happening. This scene is really gorgeous. And uh, I'm just so happy to be here and to be a part of it. And it was just really uh, um, kind and offered up, you know, kudos and um, it was heartfelt. And actually ever since that day, one of the things I love about Harrison is that he really will go out of his way to um, touch base with everyone who's on set that day. So if like we're shooting a big scene and he and I, you know, our, our chairs are apart or whatever, and we aren't rehearsing or whatever, if that makes sense, he'll come up to me sort of uh, out of nowhere and be like, hey, how are you? It's so good to see you. And ha we'll have like a real like heart to heart conversation for 15 minutes while we're waiting for the turnover. And I, I just think, you know, he doesn't have to do that. Yeah. He's Harrison Ford. He's 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 a movie. He could sit in his trailer the whole time if he wanted to, and no one would think twice. And the fact that he is loves being on set that much, loves relating to other actors that much. I mean, it just not only speaks so highly of him, but is I think a, an example of what it should be every single time you go to set. And it's no different with Steven Weber or Oliver Platt or Apatha. They're all just so approachable and kind. And um, really, I think one of the things that we've lost in acting 
is the uh, apprenticeship model, right? It used to happen a lot in theater where like they would be doing King Lear and Ian McKellen would be playing King Lear and then you would be spear carrier number two and there would be that mentorship that would build. And we don't really get that so much anymore for whatever reason, capitalism, I'm gonna say. And um, I would say what, what I love about uh, those four is that they really take that mantle and um, it's important to them to mentor younger actors on set. And I hope one day if I ever get to have the career that they have, that I get to uh, do the same thing. Cause I think it's so important. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Every time we talk to Oliver, both of us, myself and my partner, Bryna, we love the West Wing. So every time we talk to Oliver, we're just like, he was on the West Wing. So I mean, yeah. who, I love the West Wing so good i'm obsessed yes. i mean <laughs> i just like i the there are episodes of that that i every time i watch them i weep weep and also i think that episode with alice and janney and uh, uh uh where um what's her character's name uh cj cj and uh charlie are doing the pranks on each other <laughs> yes that episode makes me laugh so hard yeah, that's the one they read it on HBO for the voting special. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, I love that episode so much. I love it. That show is just art. I know, so good. I know, so good. It Aaron is. Park, wait, did you see? So, wait, I want to know, because I heard you went to New York with your friends. Yeah, yeah. Did you we, see Camelot? We did not see Spamalot. No, we saw. We What's did three shows in three days, but we saw oh. um, Anne Juliet, Bad Cinderella, and Moulin Rouge. Wait, sorry, say that again slower. <laughs> yeah, we saw Anne Juliet. Uh -huh. And then we saw Bad Cinderella. Okay, great. And Moulin Rouge. And Moulin Rouge. I see, I see, I see. Okay, great. I haven't seen any of those. Um, I thought maybe them... you would see Camelot because didn't because Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, and I didn't know that oh. until I got back and saw it on TikTok. I was like, Sorkin did this? Like, and I didn't know about that. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, I was beating myself up over it. But two of those three shows that we saw were fantastic. Oh, great. Yeah, I'll um, tell me which two. Can you reveal? Yeah, I totally can. I just yeah. Okay. Um, so Angelia was great. Um, right. And Moulin Rouge we saw with Aaron Tveit in it, and I mean, come on. I know, right? Um, bad Cinderella was indeed bad. Can I say that? I can say that. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Why not? I mean, you know, um, it was Cinderella with extra steps, but. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, we had a blast though. It was great. I, I'm okay. already planning a trip back. I love, I, 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 I'm going to go to New York in May, I think, and I'm excited to see some shows. I saw a bunch of things in December and I, I just like, it's my favorite thing. Theater is so alive right now. It's, people are making really amazing, amazing things. Yeah. And, um, to get to be in the room live, it's so special. It is. It really is. I also want to see uh, Josh Molina's in one right now, played Will Bailey on The West Wing. Um, Leopoldstadt, I think is what he did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's in that. Tom Stoppard. Um, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, which also sent me really well into the next question, because two things we love on the pot are Broadway and TV. So we were definitely going to ask you what your favorite musical was and why. So yeah, what is it? <laughs> uh, yes. My favorite musical. Okay. Well, it has a couple layers. One is I, I grew up on Rent. Rent was very formative to me. Mm -hmm. I know the whole album by heart. Um, in fact, when my best friend, who now lives in Chicago and I get to visit every time I go to Chicago, she and her family live in Chicago. My best friend 
uh, when she was a freshman in college and I was still a senior in high school, she was a little lonely and she called me and we sang the entire score on the phone together, beat by beat. And I think we annoyed every single one of her uh, doormates that day, but it was really special. So that is maybe my favorite musical because it held such a special place in my heart. I think, um, I think Sweeney Todd is probably um, the one that hits the mark for me in like just high art. Okay. And I love the music and I love the storytelling and I love the humor and I love how um, devastating it is. I also am a little biased because I played Sweeney Todd in college. So I'm a little bit like, I want to do it again. Yeah. If I can. Are you going to see it when you go to New York? I don't think so. Isn't Josh Groban in it? Josh Groban is in it. Josh yeah. Groban is in it. Yeah, no, you know, I tend not to see stuff I've already seen if I can help it unless I have to. Mm, that's a good strategy. Just because I I love new I love new stuff. So I'm always like, what new thing can I see? What what you know, what also because new stuff doesn't tend to last as long, so you may never see it again. Whereas Sweeney Todd, I'll get to it'll be being done until I'm 120. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's good. That's good. Uh, yeah. We were going to see Book of Mormon when we were there and I've seen it like 15 times, but I'm always down to see it again because it's hilarious. Hilarious but, and good. Yeah. So funny. So funny. So we also love television on our show. Of course, we ask everybody who comes on, what are you watching right now? Well, obviously I'm watching Shrinking. So that's about to end. Um, I watched Ted Lasso. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm a big Ted Lasso fan. I actually got to, I think it just dropped, but I got a sneak peek because I went to the premiere two weeks ago. So I got to see episodes one and two and it is phenomenal. It is so good. I love that show so much. They, it like, I, there is not an episode where I don't cry and laugh at the same time. I just think they're incredible. Yeah. Um, they, I just have fallen in love with those characters. Uh, I'm also, uh, I watched Drag Race, RuPaul's Drag Race, season okay. 15. Um, and what else am I watching right now? Well, I actually was at my aunt and uncle's this past weekend, and um, uh, I made them start watching Friday Night Lights, which <laughs> I have watched all six all five seasons about six times. Have you ever watched that show? Of course I have. I live in Texas. Of course I have. I'm obsessed with that uh -huh. show. Yeah. I mean, goals. Coach and Tammy Taylor, goals. Mm -hmm. That is a goal relationship. Yep. They are amazing mm -hmm. together. And Kyle Chandler and Connie Britton are so good on that show. And I just, it's, I, I love a good sports movie and it and and then i also love all the feels and it has both all combined wrapped into one and just hours and hours of it because it was network television baby so there's so much of it yeah um so i just got my mom and my aunt and uncle into it my mom is actually already we started two days ago and she's already on episode 15. so impressive yeah right <laughs> that's skill that's skill but still I love it. That's a great show. Have you seen The Last of Us? Any of the uh, the other popular ones that are on right now? Yes, yes, yes. I, I don't think the last I, I think I'm one or two episodes behind on The Last of Us, but I'm, I mean, I'm just loving The Last of Us. I mean, I'm, who isn't obsessed with Pedro Pascal right now? I mean, 
in general. He's just like, he's one of the more interesting um, actors because his, uh, you know, on Last of Us, he's so serious. He has no humor at all. And then you see him interviewed and he's hilarious. Yeah. He's so funny. He's so goofy. I think I just watched him do that show where he eats all the, um, you know, where they have um, hot sauce on the- um, Oh, hot ones. Hot ones. Yeah, his hot ones was great. So great. So great. So Last of Us I'm watching. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm obsessed with Severance. I can't wait for season two of Severance. Severance is so good. So literally, okay. For all those who haven't watched it yet, I am going to say this. The first- couple episodes are a slow burn, right? Cause it's like all world building and you're like, what's going on? What is this? But then once the guns start getting loaded and the like when I got to the season finale, I stood on my feet when it went black because I was like, no, yeah, no, yep. <laughs> you cannot stop there. <laughs> I mean, best cliffhanger I think I've watched ever. Show's amazing. So show's so good. Yeah, so, so good. Severance is really good. Uh, what else? I'm trying to think of the other big shows. Severance was one of my favorite things I watched last year. Um, what else am I watching right now? That's a good question. Oh, Daisy Jones and the Six, but that just started. So um, it's on Amazon. Yeah. yeah. So lots of good stuff out there. Lots of good stuff. Good stuff. So, well, Devin, that is all I had for today. It was such a pleasure. This was so much fun. Tina, it is so nice to meet you. And please keep calling Kai a cat in doctor's clothing. I will. I will. Um, we all probably know, <laughs> but tell our listeners where we can find you on socials. You can find me at Devin Kawaoka. That's D-E-V-I-N-K-A-W-A-O-K-A -A -A on Instagram and Twitter, though I'm mostly on Instagram. And um, don't be afraid to say my last name. It's phonetic. Kawaoka. Kawaoka. That's easy. Yeah. Yeah, right? That's easy. We asked hard just to be sure, but yeah. That's cool. <laughs> That's phonetic. Nice and easy. So, well, cool. This was so much fun, Devin. We will definitely keep calling Kai a, a cat in doctor's clothes. Thank you so much, Gina. Talk to you later. Bye. Um, once again, shout out to Devin for joining us on the pod. He was so wonderful. What a sweetheart. He's nothing like Kai. So, like, you know actor and character keep them separate because he's wonderful Devin's a sweetheart so um yeah that's about all we've got for today so and as always if you love the pod which we really hope you do please feel free to leave us a rating and review on iTunes I'm going a little out of order today it was just the first thing that came to mind but <laughs> uh yeah that's all we've got for today uh, email us anytime about anything Meet us at mollys at gmail.com. Um, check out the link to our Patreon page if you'd like to join there. It's in our socials. Um, what am I missing? Follow us individually on Twitter. I'm at Gina Watches TV. Bryna? I'm at Bryna K13. I already said to email us. I'm missing something. Meet us at mollys right across the board. Twitter, Instagram, that? Facebook, all the things. Yes. Yes. Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, TikTok. Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> My brain is not at full, like, full function tonight. Uh, yeah, follow us everywhere. And yeah, in the meantime, I usually will say everybody have a good weekend, but it's Monday, so it's just the start of the week. Okay. Well, but we'll see you at the end of the week. We will see you at the end of the week. See, lucky for you, you get to hear from us twice this week. So um, yeah, in the meantime, everybody have a great week. We will all meet on Twitter on Wednesday for the live tweet, and then we will see you again on Friday. Bye. <laughs>